everybody. Welcome to RPG Cast, episode 189 for the week of August 20th, 2011. I'm your host, Chris Privet, here, here with RP Gamers, quintessential RPG podcast, the RPG Cast, where we cover all the news, um, some of the reviews, and whatever else we can think of that sounds interesting. With me today, I've got wonderful people from multiple countries. It's a multicultural arrangement. First off, I've got Emmanuel Marino. From California, a country in a country just... Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, we got Anna Marie Newfeld. A Canadian temporarily transplanted. That's right. Uh, we've got Roy Burnett. And a Scotsman currently in Egypt. Yes. And John Yearworth. Haha, <laughs> you said quintessential. You're making me laugh. Oh, I did. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's and, awesome. yeah, I come from England. So, uh, but I was ju- I was in, I was in Germany earlier today. Yeah, you were. Oh wow! So it's been a long day for you then. Just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> uh, wait, when did you get up this morning? Uh, seven o'clock, German okay. time. Okay, and it okay. So that was like five a.m. Europe or That's five a.m. England. Six, six, so you've been six up six a.m. and it's now twelve minutes past five. Okay. This is a tough time zone to figure out. I'm so used to eight. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, John, you've been doing the most interesting thing out of any of us this week, I think. You went to Gamescom. I went to GDC and Gamescom. Oh, that's right. They're at the same time, aren't they? They, they. Well, yeah. I mean, I bought a, I bought a student pass to go to uh, GDC, and you get a a free trade visitor pass to go to Gamescom, and it's kind of like, well, if I'm going to spend three days being lectured about games, I might as well go and, you know, look at some new ones. Well, Why this not? is your time to lecture us about games. Uh, you got to tell oh. us about what you did, man. Well, okay, so I spent most of my time, at least on Monday and Tuesday, attending lectures. I've got Ooh. the list. Did you take uh, notes? Um, oh, yeah, I've taken plenty of notes. Remember, I do a course in game design and whatnot. I, I need to know this stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, after the, um, like the mess that was getting my badge on Monday morning, uh, why is there a mess? Oh, it was their registration procedure. It's really inefficient. You had to, um, go to a laptop and type in your name. So, Mm -hmm. you know, look, search their database for if you had a badge with them, you print the badge off and then you then have to go over to the desk where the guys are the, you know, these volunteers are taking the printed badges off the. Uh, printers and then shouting out people's names. Problem is, is there's like a crowd of 500 people in front of the desk, and actually hearing your name is extremely difficult. Hmm. So it took me. So it's like E3, but with more people. A lot yeah. more people. Um, so yeah. So the first talk I actually got to wasn't until like 10 to 11 on Monday, uh, but that was about uh, creating cutscenes in um, CryEngine 3 which uh, Crytek have now released as a free development kit. That was their big GDC announcement. Free? Yeah, as far as I know. Well, how are they going to make money on it then? Well, I mean, it's a bit like uh, how Epic released the Unreal SDK a while back. Yeah. Oh, you have to pay for support probably. It's probably well, or some sort of commercial license, presumably. Oh, okay. The original talk was actually about how you can produce like really simple games in the CryEngine three, which I had a lot of interest in. But uh, they had to, the speaker had to pull out at, right at the last minute, so they got someone else in to talk about something else. Uh, um, yeah, non-commercial uh, use take- right there. The uh, the real takeout from that one was the CryEngine three has um, it 
looked uh, like the the the, the um, cutscene creation stuff worked a lot like 3ds Max, but the editor worked in real time. There was no um, there was no like baking that you have to do with a lot of other level editor types. Mm-hmm. Um, and you literally, it's like uh, the way they described it basically is what you see in the editor is what you play if you then fire the level up. Cool. You know, it's pretty damn incredible. Um, the two o'clock talk was um, the guy responsible, or at least one of the guys responsible from BioWare, Sila Costa, um, talking about how they came up with um, enemy NPCs in Mass Effect 3 and the improvements that they made from the creation process from Mass Effect 2. Um, the problem that they had in Mass Effect 2 was that um, their uh, gameplay, they made a lot of gameplay changes late in the development process, and that kind of caused stuff to slide around a bit, a bit testy. Um, so they showed off a couple of rather amusing videos showing uh, uh, what I presume is Mass Effect 3-era Shepard basically fighting block creatures. Oh, nice. Like creatures just made of like yellow boxes. So that's, that's what we get to look forward to in Mass Effect 3? Yeah, yeah, that's how much they've done the gameplay down. But seriously, um, it was like a, a robot that um, I think it's one of the Cerberus robots yeah. um, who uh, like blocks shots by putting a shield across its face or across its vulnerable spot. And they tested that by having like a really simply animated pile of um, yellow boxes that moved into a block position when you shot at it. Mm-hmm. And they showed off a couple of other videos showing how other like blocky enemies acted, so it was like stealth squads and stuff like that. Um, if that one's available online, anyone interested in Mass Effect Three should really have a look at that one. Um, Any spoilers in it, or just a lot of fighting uh, scenes? No, the videos are all um, like pre-alpha build footage. So there's no ah. spoilers for that. The only spoilers you might get is. Um, uh, like if you're on a complete information blackout, there might be a couple of minor storyline spoilers, but I can't think of anything significant. Um, let's see. Uh, the uh, 440. There was a guy called Ernest W. Adams, a British game designer, who was talking about uh, making uh, MMORPGs more storylike. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, personally, it kind of felt as a kind of um, like. I've I've often felt that uh, MMORPGs are kind of designed in the way to, to facilitate game like gameplay. See, so there are there are breaks from reality that you have to accept. But he did put forward a rather amusing concept, particularly since bearing in mind the uh, the conference is taking place in Germany called the Blitz Online, mm-hmm. um, which um, was his idea of how to. Uh, bypass the problems that um, MMORPGs have with stuff like respawning enemies and um, like uh, having the same quest chains for um, each player. Um, if again, if uh, that particular one is online, anyone who has an issue with how MMORPGs are developed will probably be interested to hear how this guy What's talks. It? How's he going to fix it? Um. His idea was um, – oh, hang on. I'm just looking for the stuff in my notes. Uh, he um, he li- outlined the problems that he had with um, Lord of the Rings Online, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, It has uh, respawning enemies, right. um, as in important enemies to respawn. Um, everyone has exactly the same quest chain. 
Um, there's a sense of timelessness. You know, uh, I think World of Warcraft is the only, is at the moment, is one of the only, is one of the few MMOs that kind of advances the storyline with their phasing mechanic. Well, that's funny you say that as examples, Lord of the Rings Online, because Lord of the Rings Online are the first people who had phasing. Really? Was their, yeah, that oh, was their big think, claim to fame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the I think well the the next point I've got here though is he says that um yes it does have phasing but it in a way it also duplicates NPCs. Yeah. Um so there was this thing um where uh after the events in I think it's Rivendell um you know you're supposed to leave and never come back. Right. But you could go back to Rivendell and everyone's still standing there. <laughs> so yeah it does have phasing but it doesn't I don't think it implements it quite as well as World of Warcraft. It doesn't Caribbean. force you into it but yeah there's the issue of Yeah. Some players um, would be annoyed by the, that. Um, uh, the other thing was uh, they're bogged down in stati- it's all bogged down in statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, what he said, well, he basically said, you know, you just basically cannot change the world. You cannot modify the status quo. Basically, um, so his solution was to create a massive world with a large story, which naturally generates smaller stories by existing. Uh, the players must be under pressure, but they must have um, power, you know, some sort of ability to change the world around them. Um, the changes to the world must be permanent. Uh, don't use the hero's journey model. He um, sounds like he's describing Operation Gamma. Yeah. Uh, don't use... Uh, sorry, the story needs to end um, in that uh, I think... Like his idea of a, an MMORPG that solves these problems is one that kind of works in cycles, as it were. Like that yeah, either reset end exactly of- like Operation. So which, which MMO did this guy work on? Uh, he didn't work on. I don't think he's actually worked on any of them. Oh. Um, which is because uh, he was saying he kind of when he rounded off his idea, he was saying this is the kind of thing that people would try and build in like twenty years' time when we've got the technology to do it. Trying to rend because uh, under his idea, trying to render like all of um, uh, like war wartime London um, using current technology would probably be pretty difficult, considering some of his other ideas, like the um, the. Well, degrad- that's interesting. He chooses wartime London, given Operation Gamma's well, setting. There was there was a reason. There was, the, the specific reason he picked it was that the players would take the place of um, uh, the. Um, wardens, you know, the people who were responsible for helping people during that time. So most of the quests would actually be more about um, saving lives. He, what he, what he wanted it to do was to build it as an educational piece. Um, so it'd be less about like you know killing enemies and whatnot, or more about saving lives and learning about the war. Because you know we we grow up in a we grow up in a world now where you know the the events of the Blitz are a, a distant memory. To, pretty much everybody um he did have to then kind of end his presentation with like a seven and a half minute apology about talking about that in germany um by saying that you know while while the blitz was pretty bad for us in a way it wasn't as bad as what we did to the germans um and uh yeah that's pretty much it and then uh the last one i went to i only really went to because one of my university lecturers was on the panel but it was uh it was the last in a series of talks of which I, i didn't go to any of on um, indie games called Beyond Fun. Now, the thing is, is uh, when these guys say indie games, I think a lot of us who just kind of typically play around like AAA developer stuff uh, would probably come off as artsy games. So not like the indie RPGs that we that we pawn off on Sam all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the they had one. Uh, they were talking about one game um, called uh, Four Minutes Thirty Fifth Four Minutes Thirty Three Seconds of Uniqueness. Uh, 
where if anybody else in the world files, fires up the game during that time, you lose. Seriously? Uh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> Literally just a time. It is literally just a timer counting down four minutes and thirty three seconds. If anybody else runs the program in the entire world, you lose. Great. Um, but there was another game they were talking about called Glitch Hiker, um, which was developed in a I think it was an international game jam where if people played badly, it would introduce bugs into the game, um, and if you played well, it would uh, like fix them. Uh, the game died after four days. Like became terminally it was so bugged. buggy. Oh, wow. yeah! So no one did well. <laughs> and stopped and actually stopped working after four days. I think you can still download the EXE, but it doesn't work. <laughs> um, uh, my uh, my le- university lecturer was talking about um, it. It may actually be possible to make something um, like just a, a like um, a pretty uh, place for players to just um, exist in, basically. Um, oh, and I talked to him Second afterwards. Life isn't good enough for that? Uh, too many raining penises. Um, oh, my bad. I think he did mention it, though. I can't remember. Someone mentioned Second Life. Um, and yeah, uh, so that kind of rounded off Monday rather well. I ended up in a Mexican restaurant after that. Tell me if I'm whittering too much. <laughs> Wait, was there tequila involved? The, the way you ended it there, like, ended up in a res- Mexican restaurant and then uh, had to fly back to Germany, so... I don't know how that happened. No, no, I just ended, just ended up in a Mexican restaurant. Um, I have to wonder uh, how good Mexican cooking is in Germany. How it's good is it in the like U.S.? Of, huh? Um, so Tuesday, uh, I did actually manage to get to the early morning stuff. Uh, the first uh, one was um, uh, a presentation titled, Where's the Fun? How to Test Your Game Before Building Anything? which is basically a guy who was making a social game for Facebook, a London-based development studio, who um, basically um, made up the mechanics of their game and then printed it out on sheets of paper and tested it down at the local pub with dice and members of the public to see if their game was actually fun to play. Nice. Uh, which was, I say, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good idea, actually, because it said that they got a lot of feedback from it that they wouldn't have got had they just done regular testing. Um, the other thing they did was um, instead of just using like uh, game design documents often have a lot of um, like uh, static um, diagrams that show off like um, gameplay concepts. I've, I've done myself with some really bad art because I'm a programmer. Um, and he was saying that actually what you can do is build like your UI in Flash so you can test it. Like, see how it works, get people to click through it, and they can feed back how, how um, is your UI kind of like, um, uh, not necessarily responsive, but uh, easy to use, that kind of thing. Is it user-friendly? You know what the scary part is? is I've actually done that, Quinn. Uh, so what, build? It can't build something, build the UI in Flash. And uh, I'm not a programmer. Use it as a uh, did you use it as a design tool for something else? Yeah, so. well, sort of. We it was a university project where you had to create um, the basis <laughs> of a program that would fix a problem that a business was having. Yeah, that's, that sounds so convoluted. Eh. But if I um, can do it, and I'm like you know, hello world code dumb, I'm sure you can. Hmm. Uh, yes, I uh, flash is something I definitely need to know. Um. The next one was, uh, this was from Ubisoft, actually. Um, it's something called The Game Is Not Enough, which was about, um, uh, again, about um, social. It was 
um, like in the wake of the Settlers Online. So it was it was kind of focusing more on social games, um, but it was about um, you can sure you can make a game, but you then also have to um, you have to have so much else other than the game in order to make it you know turn a profit. It's like you need a support department, you need to have a well coded website, a good system administrator, that kind of thing. Um, in a way, it was kind of like it was relative. It was almost as a gamer, it felt almost rather draining listening to listening to him talk about it because it was kind of like um, this is basically how um, this is basically how we squeeze money out of users um, in the way of things like um, when I mean a lot of it is supposed to be good uh, common sense as far as design goes, but I just couldn't shake the feeling, particularly it was coming from Ubisoft. Um, but they're they're. Um, does they speak with a heavy French accent? Yes. Um, the, 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 the thing he noted right at the end was, um, and this is something true for massively multiplayer games as well, is once you hit 70,000 active users, you w- your game will be hacked. You know, no questions about it, your game will be hacked by someone uh, at mm-hmm. 70,000, uh, uh, somewhere above 70,000 users. Uh, he that said that the. 1 best... 7 or 7 0? I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. 7 0. Okay. That's what seven zero. Uh, he was saying that basically, what you really should do uh, in most cases is, uh, I think someone uh, they hacked into one of uh, there was a Russian guy who hacked into one of their games recently, um, who then at Ubisoft's request actually um, wrote a twenty-page report into all the expo- uh, expo- uh, exploits, and then they just hired him as a security consultant. Oh, that still does work. Okay. Yeah. Well, so apparently, um, like you know, breaking into a game can still get you jobs. <laughs> Uh, the next one I went to was um, Epic's keynote, um, which was how they try and bring their AAA development style to all of the stuff that they do. Um, they were talking about um, why they shifted the development away from Shadow Complex 2 into making Infinity Blade. Um, so this was... this was, I, How I much brewing was there one. going on? This was by uh, the... Uh, none, really. This was I by think the Infinity, Infinity Blade, Blade team, right, Chair? Uh, this was done by... Uh, crap and i think it was done by the ceo of epic okay um i'll say i i did have his i thought i had his name written down but i don't um that's okay he he was saying that um he's saying that uh, competing with yourself is a valid business model um and he says that one of the best um uh driving driving new technology gets you attention in the industry Mm-hmm. Um, basically, um, when like for example, when they were making uh, Unreal Tournament, the original one, I think they were in contact with uh, the people making 3D FX at the time, um, yeah. and so they could try and. Um, so when Unreal Tournament came out, they were kind of pushing the envelope as far as graphics on the PC were going, and they kind of try and do that every time. Like they were one of the people who persuaded Microsoft to put. 512 megs of memory into the 360. Provided, they provided like screenshots to Microsoft showing what they could render with 256 megs and then with 512 and Microsoft were like, okay, yeah, we'll put 512 in there. You know, we're going to get some decent graphics out of it. They were also saying that a couple of their older presentations when they were still trying to push technology, um, they were actually working with um, cobbled together graphics cards, like soldered together bits of other graphics cards that they had to replace every few hours because they were smoldering. Uh, mm-hmm. To try and display the stuff that they were doing. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> next talk, 
Uh, oh, yeah, here we are. I think there was an equation here. Uh, cutting edge plus polish plus platform plus a good partner plus a good release date equals win. Simple. Now you've just got to go out there and make a game. Um, next one. Uh, this one was actually mostly a... Um, this was a programming discussion about um, hacking and encryption, about how you can prevent people... Um, like hacking your basically hacking your save files and stuff like that. Um, not terribly interesting to anyone outside of programming disciplines. Yeah. So who are in what, what, are, what are the other uh, what are the other big sessions you really hit? Uh, let's see. Firefighting Trouble Project was interesting, just only from a project management perspective. It uh-huh. was like um, this guy who crap. I, keep forgetting to write up um write their names down yeah write that, write that, I, i've got them all in the book but i don't have the book to hand uh, um okay. it was basically a guy uh i'm trying to remember who he worked for um basically he was saying that he there have been an, uh, the, uh, the guys who developed battalion wars on the okay. gamecube yeah um he uh, they pushed a bunch of other stuff out but um he was talking about his experiences in the industry as far as uh there are like several examples um your producer quits. You have no lead coder. Yeah. Your the project scope changes because your publisher gets bought by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, the publisher's unhappy. You know they they're threatening to sue you or something like that. Or the publisher's not paying you. You know because you know you need the money from the publisher to develop. Um, the project is um, overrunning the date. Uh, and a case of a team lacking. Um, they had good coders, but they weren't able to. They, I, I think they were lacking. Um, something to kind of finish the entire project off. I think it was lack of decent QA staff and stuff like that, so they couldn't oh. get their bugs fixed. Okay. And there was stuff like, he was basically talking about diplomacy, how to talk to people, um, and kind of smooth things out, so that when, you're de- when your project hits rough waters, you don't just kind of cancel it, because your team falls apart. Okay, so the next one is actually the one that I probably consider my favorite talk of GDC. Uh, the Evolution of RPG Mechanics from Dice Rolls to Hit Volumes by Jay Sawyer of Obsidian. Um, he was talking about... Um, he's basically been at Obsidian since they made Icewind Dale. Oh, yeah, since Black Isle, I think, made Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm. So he's been a kind of member of that kind of group of people. Um, he also worked on pretty much all of their games right up through Fallout New Vegas. Um, and there are, he has several problems with... Um, I. I you know, sort of RPGs in general as they're currently going. Um, I think the stuff I've got here is um, developers keep repeating errors despite user feedback. Um, they ignore ex- ignore est- new games, ignore established mechanics. Um, the games often dis- and this is definitely true. I think for open world games, is um, they often disregard smart players. Um, they don't think of all of the things the player can do. And also uh, the, the tendency for some developers to always attend to the most vocal players. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, um, he, his five hard lessons were uh, mechanical chaos is frustrating. Uh, what you perceive matters most. Uh, strategic fa- failures always feel horrible. Uh, player versus character is a false dichotomy. And uh, as a summary point, good gameplay is always better than ideas and expectations, which, of course, would probably come as a surprising amount of common sense to anyone who's been around in the RPG industry for a while. Um, Say that last one again. Good game. Good gameplay is better than ideas and expectations. Ah, right. Um, uh, he 
Um, basically then just kind of said, uh, he just provided a caveat for the audience over some of his, what he was going to say next. Um, that there is, uh, you know, everyone does make mistakes. Um, there is a difference between strategy and tactics. And he wasn't necessarily going to be all about anti-turn-based combat or anti-randomization. Um, and he wasn't going to talk about MMORPGs because okay, they just tend well, to do what, what did he talk about? <laughs> um, okay, so um, the mechanic, the, under mechanical chaos is frustrating. Everyone hates random number generators. Um, and okay. in games, and for games, there's stuff like randomized accuracy. Uh, so he provided the examples were Deus Ex, sorry, Deus Ex, sorry Zoltan, sure. um, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and Alpha Protocol, you know, where you're, you know, there was kind of like a random element, so you shot someone in the face and it didn't register, kind of thing. Yep. Uh, he said, basically, no human being likes this. Well, you know, except that we say, have people who did like it. Yeah, except for the people who do like it. Which is kind of silly, know. but okay. Um, and also things like randomized uh, lockpicking, hacking, speech checks, hack, uh, crafting. He was saying that the thing about it was, um, yeah, you can randomize them, but most people will reload on failure. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Every, you know, as soon as you if fail they have that one option, of, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if you have the option, as soon as you fail one of those checks, you reload. Yep. Um, the prob- uh, So he had a... Um, he provided a case study from Fallout New Vegas, so this will probably resonate with a number of the people who listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the problems uh, he he faced was he doesn't like the kind of this kind of random number jet stuff, so he had to come with, to a compromise when it kind of came to creating the gambling mini games in Fallout New Vegas because you know you're in Vegas, you're expendable. Yeah. Do we need to uh, cover how those games work for people who might not be familiar with them, or uh, I we'll probably can cover it simply. I've got it here anyway. He okay. was just saying that um, the problems are the player expectations. So you're in Vegas, you're expected to gamble. Yes. Um, real casino games are biased, so you'd probably spend most of the time being screwed out by the house if they programmed it like an actual casino. Um, people will reload failures. You know, you'll gamble, you fail, you reload. Um, it bre- excessive gambling breaks the economy. You know, you gain practically unlimited money if you can gamble well. Um, and of course, uh, if they actually imposed any limits on it, there would be a negative fan reaction. If you get what I'm saying, yeah. You know, if, if they changed it, he provided a quote actually, which we got later, which is, "If you want to make enemies, try to change something." Um, so his solutions were: um, there were three. He created the three low-impact games that are in New Vegas. So the slots, the blackjack, and the roulette. Um, the slots and the roulette are completely random. Um, and the blackjack had a simple AI program for it. Your luck stat only improves the odds you're given. But what he said was um, he uh, there are anti-cheating measures in place so that if you reload your game, you can't use the uh, any of the casino uh, games for like a minute or two after reloading. Mm. Um, there is also uh, the, the casinos in Fallout New Vegas did have a limit... And they did provide a reward if you hit that limit. And eventually you got an achievement, uh, which I think was called the Courier Broke the Bank, um, which was basically their way of saying, please stop gambling, you're breaking the economy. <laughs> um, and they were also, when they talked about um, the combat, you know, um, like hitting people with swords with random number generators, he provided the um, Morrowind as an example, but then said that when they made Oblivion, um, they, took, they made it so that if you hit someone with a sword... You hit someone with a sword. You don't sort of swing your sword at their face and you somehow miss. Um, and he, sa- uh, he said of um, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, as 
paraphrased a shooter RPG that doesn't suck. <laughs> okay. Because it uh, apparently it fixes a lot of the problems that he's been complaining about. It doesn't like say the, how? Um, well, I think it fixes the um, problem with the original um, Deus Ex, as in um, the uh, RNG-based combat. Um, in the, If you shoot someone in the face, chances are you've shot someone in the face. Sure. Kind of thing. Okay. Um, but he did note that um, uh, for... The hack, I think it's the hacking minigame in Human Revolution, still does have a randomized com- component to it, which is the chance you get to uh, traced, basically. Okay. Um, the why he said it, when I say when he says uh, the point what you perceive matters most, um, it was mostly um, players cannot differentiate um, small changes in their characters in their RPG characters, like small stat changes. Um, and it, it it's more to do with um like very low incremental changes that RPGs often use in, for example, like talent trees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also things like um let's see. Uh he he said about Alpha Protocol, um the stealth system wasn't that fun to play as because the players couldn't perceive the stealth feedback. Um the and uh, Fallout Three, um, the condition of your weapons affects a lot of things about them, but most of them are imperceptible to the player. Um, I think most people, I think, assume that it only affects like accuracy and stuff like that, but it's also lots of other invisible things, like the chance the gun will jam and stuff like that. Oh. Um, again, he pointed out uh, Human Revolution as something trying to solve that by saying that like one augmentation point will get you super strength and you're suddenly able to throw around vending machines, which is a perceptible change. Um, he also said that um, there are a few perks in the Fallout series um, that uh, are designed well with that in mind, like the one that gives you um, 50% damage bonus to uh, certain... Uh, creature types. Sure. I think it's bugs. Uh, and also, again, um, Bioshock, um, upgrading a weapon like your standard pistol suddenly gives you 300% improved ammo capacity. It's not like, uh, uh, you know, uh, an example of slightly more imper- imperceptible damage in Bioshock would have been the research system. A bit. Um, whereas their weapon upgrades were well designed. And also the ammo types in, I think, specifically Mass Effect 2. Um, you know, if you use the right ammo type on the right target, you really do shred through people quite quickly. Um, let's see. Uh, he also had a quick note about um, companion power, uh, what, or what he called companion power, uh, which is when they were designing Fallout New Vegas, they made it so that companions always dealt um, 100% of their damage and always took 100% damage from... Uh, everything um, but he felt that in that doing that design um, that they took away gameplay from the player in that you know they were running forward expecting to have a, a combat with something they'd hear a single rifle bolt from I can't remember the name of the character because I haven't played New Vegas uh, and you know the, your companion would be busy holstering his rifle having taken out the thing you were about to kill yourself now, I'm sure in some cases people probably quite enjoy that. But he sometimes feels that because they deal, um, you know, they can effectively deal um, you know, deal with situations instead of the player dealing with them. It kind of takes part of the experience away from the player. So they're not kind of fighting alongside you. They're fighting instead of you. 
if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, he was saying, and the, the a solution, in quotes to that, was um, Dungeon Siege 3, where your uh, companion, which, when it's not controlled by a player, only deals and takes 25% damage. So they're kind of like on your... They're by your side providing supporting fire, but you're still doing a majority of the work, as yeah. it were. If another player joins in, it bumps it back up to 100 and everything works as normal. I noticed that during the demo. Um, <laughs> it's like my AI felt useless. <clears throat> okay, um, the next point was uh, strategic failures. Like, um, he gave some rather amusing uh, um extreme what he called extreme examples of strategic failures um it's possible to you can't finish uh, he provided the original one of the original i think it was either red box i think uh well bard's tale you need a bard to finish bard's tale if you don't make a bard you can't finish bard's tale you know there are sometimes it's obvious it's that obvious but um he was just he basically his, his summary point on that one was basically uh dungeons and dragons is no country for strategic noobs um, so he said that when designing games with the second, third, and 3.5 edition rule sets, um, plus having a full party of players, sorry, characters, plus tuned for Dungeons and & Dragons uh, and tabletop veterans, plus the broad level range that the game takes place over, equals an, unlimit- an almost unlimited number of ways to make a party that sucks. <laughs> Basically. Nice. Mass- you know, massive yeah. strategic failure. Um, so he was saying that when they designed, uh, and it places a lot of demand on the player to make a party that doesn't suck using that rule set, he was saying that when they designed Neverwinter Nights, the original one, they were quite a lot more forgiving in that respect. Um, I, I, don't, I can't who remember. Who was this guy with? Obsidian. Well, he didn't make the first Neverwinter Nights. Uh, no, he didn't, but I think he used Neverwinter Nights as an example. Okay. I, presumably because, you know, he speaks to people in the industry all the friggin' time. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out the things he... Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who he is. It seems like he worked on everything. Mm. Um, he was also saying... Um, uh, yeah, he was saying Neverwinter Nights, there are more limited ways to make strategic errors. You can still make them, but it's more forgiving. Mm. Um, he said about Fall, the original Fallout and the second one and the third one don't tag big guns because you won't find any for quite a while. Don't tag it as a starting skill. Um, and um, it's actually uh, the big gun skill was something they removed in Fallout New Vegas and moved all of the weapons that were in it into other categories. Mm. Um, he said uh, this is something that MMOs do right because most of them off- usually offer a way to respect your character. Uh, he also said the other the non-MMO example he gave was Brink and he also said uh, 4th Ed D&D as well he did actually provide some a positive note for 4th Ed D&D and managed to not attract any boost from the audience wait you can respec um, in 4th Ed D&D I think you can yeah I wonder how that works um, okay <laughs> um Player versus character is a false dichotomy um it was mostly about um you have to be careful what you ask of the player um, and uh, be cognizant of what you actually demand. I think it's to do about overloading the player with information, because um, he specifically referenced a boss fight in Neverwinter Nights 2, where you have something like, like a massive number of party members and a lot of um, like uh, buffs applied to your character, and it's like very, very difficult to follow. It's basically information overload. 
Um, and yeah, his summary point was the good gameplay is better than ideas and expectations, and that's where my notes end. You didn't explain uh, that one very much. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure he's, it was basically a summarization of his of his entire talk, which ah, comes okay. over my notes as about eight pages of notes on a small yeah. notebook. Um, <laughs> I actually didn't take any further actual notes. Um, on Wednesday, uh, it was they opened the trade, uh, the, the trade day for Gamescom, so I headed over there in the morning. I s- decided to spurn Lord British's keynote announcement because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't especially interested in what Lord British had to say. Um, and um, I attended a couple of the community management presentations on Wednesday. Um, but apparently a lot of the other ones were cancelled, um, so instead I just kind of spent the rest of the day wandering around the Gamescom floor. Um, do you want me to talk about that, or should we take a break? We should uh, cover what you saw on the floor uh, at the end during our now playing. <laughs> yeah, and I let's, think, uh, I think... let's let's head into feedback, I think. Yeah, we got, we we got find... a lot of feedback on the show this week. Oh, what were you going to say? No, no, it's fine. I think I'm just going to rest my voice for a Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. You got a good chunky sessions that you went to. Lots of stuff to think about. Like totally how to remake an MMO and, and what uh, the traps in an RPG. That's pretty good. Uh, we don't get a lot of coverage of those Actually, events. I was, was going to say, if that, if that um, uh, talk of the, with the Obsidian guy is on YouTube or something... For the lo- if you're an RPG player, for the love of God, watch it. It's extremely interesting, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. Great. Okay, on our forum. So, for feedback on this show, we've got a number of ways for you to provide it. It's podcast at rpgamer.com if you're going to email it in. Excuse me. It's also board.rpgamer.com if you want to join in on the message boards. And we have 608-729-4098 if you want to call in and leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear your voicemails, but no one's calling us in anymore. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, so, first message from our message boards from Kisaki Project. It says, in regards to Diablo 3. So, this is talking about our comments on the last show where we were, we were talking about the auction house and uh, the real money auction house and always having to be online and all that. So, in regards to Diablo 3, I'm pretty put off by this real money auction house. It's pretty clear this is a Kotick commanded monetization of the game. Between this and the silly art style, I think I'll just stick with Torchlight 2. But I've been a Blizzard hater since WoW came into being. It's too bad because I love the old stuff. I don't know. I think they just lost something when they switched from isometric sprite art to their 3D renderings. Also, you guys think wanting more than 10 characters is not a serious issue in Diablo 3? I must object. When I played Diablo 2, um, when I was in high school and college, we would create and run new characters all the time. I've probably played like a million characters. The 10 limit ruins the timeless nature of the game, which is why people like Blizzard's stuff in the first place. Hand raising. All Since right. all of this got dealt with in the forums, I'm just going to deal with the specific part. That yeah, I thought it was an interesting discussion and figure we should go ahead and throw it on, on the podcast as well. And I never said that it wasn't a serious issue. I didn't understand why it was a serious issue because having not played Diablo, but having played WoW, that was my background. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, you know the the ten limit character thing. I think Blizzard will end up changing that probably oh, within the first geez, year. I missed this whole conversation, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. Hi. Oh, the reason why I brought it up to begin with, I should have clarified this. Yeah. Is uh during BlizzCon last year, I sat on every single Diablo panel, and one of the thing in the Diablo Q and A, and one of the things that they were like sort of implying, and they were like sort of not even really implying, they sort of stated outright was like. 
like are you people gonna need separate characters for pvp or people gonna need separate characters for this and uh lead designer like a lot of his comments were like you know what for the most part our characters in the Diablo series are, are disposable so you're gonna have tons of slots you, you'll be able to make a ton of characters and if you need one for one specific task you just make another one it's not that big of a deal and so to see to that completely so for, like from my perspective, I was like that sort of stuck in my head from BlizzCon, and I remember that. There's sort of that kind of sentiment like, oh, characters are disposable. Who cares? Hmm. You'll have a ton. No big deal. So to go from that to 10, they're all on our server, and even the stuff like you can play offline. You could pl- there, was, there was an offline mode where you can play a single-player character offline. I used to read all the interviews because before I was going to BlizzCon, I, I, w- I wasn't up on uh, – anything blizzard like like anna or you or so sure. i tried to study up and i read every interview and uh, like a lot of the sentiment was like yeah don't worry there's going to be an offline mode but that's going to be completely separate those characters will never be able to go online so to go from that position all the way back to it's kind of weird characters. isn't it yeah so that's where i was coming from so no that that's that's a legitimate concern it does it does feel like there might be some management stuff going on that we may not appreciate very much it, it could be fair that they did have those plans to implement everything that they said in the past but then just something they said we're gonna make this real money auction house a real thing so we need to to make that happen we have to forget all those other things we said before i don't know that the 10 character limit somehow helps the auction house but hmm. you know the, the funny thing is um i don't know i think we've all we all like the nerd rage a little bit i mean <laughs> if maybe we could have just stepped back because you know what to be fair that's still one of each class, both male and female. Well, yeah, and here's the thing. I'm thinking if you are worried about being able to make new characters all the time, I say just reserve one of your ten slots as this is my burner character. I'm not going to put anybody in this slot that I care about and just and trying to hedge yourself a little bit to out the gate so you have that. And then I think in a year or two, they'll probably just expand it anyway because yep. that's and the sort of thing Blizzard does. They just increase limits. And to be fair, it could, it could also be like the other side of the argument is that due to the new uh, sort of uh, loadout system, you don't ever need more than one of a certain class. Because oh. you can just change out that loadout and then suddenly he's a PvP character. And then change out that loadout again, he's a PvE character. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to be fair and I can see all sides now. That, that's a good point. I hadn't considered and you know, that. And even if they say like one of each class of both male and female – if you really want that. And I'm sure, like you said, Chris, when the expansion comes out and they had two more classes and the other expansion <laughs> comes out and they had two more classes, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more than accommodating because I doubt anybody wants to delete the character they've had for the last four or five years. Yeah, I can't imagine they would make people delete them. So there you go. Two weeks later and we're all talking rationally and no one's angry. <laughs> no one's yelling at each other. I just want to play the darn game now. Let's forget all the politics and positioning and nerd rage. Let's let the game game speak for itself at this point. As far as I know, it was playable at Gamescom, but I did not want to wait in a queue for four hours. No, I and don't not, blame you. And I'm did not you... actually that interested in Diablo three. Uh, Diablo three. So I, I, it wasn't on my list of things I was definitely trying to check out. So Quinn, did you see anything about the new difficulty mode? Did they sort of just uh, unveiled the, inf- the after? Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, I did not hear anything about that. Okay. I, I was, and if there was a presentation for it, it was probably in German, so I missed it. Well, here's the funny thing is, hanging out on the Runic forums, there is someone who went off on this massive, like, huge whinging about 
how difficult this mode is going to be and how no one's going to play it on hardcore and how he's not going to play it on hardcore and why really? does Blizzard not give people options? And you blah, know, they blah. don't even know how like, hard the regular what? game is yet. If it's so bad, why don't you just not play it? If it's so bad, why don't you just not play it on hardcore? Why do you feel like this is suddenly the fourth ver- This is the fourth difficulty. Why do you suddenly feel like this is the only difficulty? Yeah. They don't even know how. Maybe the whole game's really easy, and they had to oh, no, add no, no, this no, to no, make no, it no, hard. No, no, Chris, Who knows? They told you how hard this is going to be. Wow. Because the max level is sixty, and the enemies start at sixty-one and scale up quickly. I doesn't matter. You haven't played the game. You don't know those enemies could fall over in one shot. For all you know. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> but they do have gear, sort of level. I mean, there's special, specific gear for that that tier of player. And you know, honestly, right. But I mean, I'm, it's going to be an it's going to be a situation of you are definitely up to that and even then it's going to remain difficult I which mean, is great I think it's, yeah, it's hard beautiful people like the hardcore stuff and this is like hardcore without being true hardcore where you just die right so it's just great. like the witcher is doing it's hardcore but it's difficult but they're also giving you incentive and new items and new ways to play that oh you yeah i mean the, the items you get in this new difficulty you can't get any other way wow so we've totally gone into dovetailed into news but um I don't we know. have we... some feedback we need to do first. Uh, we have a special feedback we need to do first. Yay! And then we can jump right into things like the the, the Witcher 2. And uh, first off, though, we have a Zoltan segment. So here we go. Hey, you are listening to the legendary Zoltan. Dude, where's my car? And it's time for me to teach you a lesson. Oh, you are in for it now. A lesson about summoning magic. But I paid my child support. In every Final Fantasy, one of the first Esper's guardian forces, Eidolon's magical beast monsters, or thingies, that you can summon is always a fire creature by the name of Ifrit. Ifrit! By the way, do you know how to spell Ifrit? Uh, Ifrit, Ifrit, um, E F uh, could you use it in a sentence, please? I summoned an Ifrit, who in turn summoned a fiery caca from its ass. I-F-R-I-T. That's correct! And that's the only spelling that the legendary me will be accepting. Don't you think it's stupid to have five different correct spellings for one word? It ain't even stupid. It's just stupid. Anyway, this word is from the mythology of Arabia. An Ifrit is a type of jinn, which in English is what we often call a genie. Okay. I wish for world peace for girls and the magic wand that the magic guy in Willow used. Nice try, but a djinn from Arabian mythology doesn't grant three wishes. So what's it do? It just kicks your ass all over the place. Oh, shia! A djinn is a kind of spirit that is stronger than a man, weaker than an angel or devil, and pH balanced just for you. And they just like to bully humans, basically. So they're really just a bunch of assholes? Yep, flaming assholes. That's so fabulous. That can hide inside any inanimate object. Wait, so that means they can even hide inside of Woody Harrelson? Oh, yeah. Ifrit, despite being spirits, actually live a lot like humans in a whole society of Ifrits with leaders and everything. So what happens when a criminal Ifrit dies? It's already on fire, so where does it go? They also get married to female Ifrits, which are called Ifritas. And get this, as if kicking our booties all over the place with their flaming toenails wasn't enough, they can also breed us out by marrying humans and, 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 you know, and doing it. Horizontal Mambo. Doesn't that sound suspiciously like a certain plot from a certain SNES square saw? Jungle Fever! But not all hope is lost. It is possible to subdue and even enslave an Ifrit or any type of djinn 
if you know the right magic spell. I can enslave the Ifritas with my huevos and chiquitas. Now these things have got to be real. I mean, they were mentioned in the freaking Quran and the Arabian Nights stories. And don't forget that there is real recorded footage of Alibaba and Sinbad talking about how to kill an Ifrit in Sonic and the Secret Rings. And that is everything you need to know about the weakest summoning spell in Final Fantasy. My nipples on fire cause I am an Ifrit. Now go light your nipples on fire to show your mama what you learned so she can slap you and say, what the hell is wrong with your RPG playing ass? All right, thank you, Legendary Zoltan. <laughs> what, SS, what SNES game was he talking about? That, I gotta know. I don't know. Uh, where people are breeding out human humanity? I don't know what that's... What is he talking about? No, I'm too busy laughing. <laughs> Sorry, the pH balance line absolutely slayed me. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> pH balance. Serious, you. Serious, yeah. Seriously, Zoltan, go into stand-up for crying out loud. I know, he should. Oh, I got to ask him to clean those up a little bit, though. He's starting to just go wherever he wants with the language, and it's really funny, but I'm starting to feel... <laughs> I want to keep this show family-friendly, right? Since when are we Disney? <laughs> yeah, you're right. We are not Pixar. I don't think there are any family-friendly I just don't want to hear about flaming cacas. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did that Mexican put <laughs> back on your Quinn yet? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, great Maybe we should move on to news. We should move on to news. Oh, wait, we have new releases this week. Do we want to touch upon that before we forget? Okay. Uh, except we do that at the end. No, I want to do it now. Okay. New releases for the week. of August, On August 23rd comes out Deus Ex, Human Revolution. Yay! And Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Survivor Overclock for the 3DS. See? That was oh, You hard. just wanted to cheer. All right. <laughs> Anybody picking these up? Um, you, yeah. Oh, sorry. You know the answer Deus to that. Ex. I actually just bought uh, the pre-order for like two hours ago. So you're running around in Team Fortress 2 with all your pretty hats? Uh, well, I, I, you know about the rule about not playing on podcasts. Oh, well, I meant in general. I didn't mean like right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess. You guess. Okay. You haven't played with them yet, have you? All right. That's okay. Uh, apparently I, you get like eight pre-order hats and stuff and weapons and I don't know whatever. Uh, you know, it's like it's several. It's uh, like three or four guns. There is a shotgun for the engineer, a revolver for the spy. Uh, there is this spark plug thing also for the engineer, cool. uh, which are all weapons. Beautiful. Um, and Oh, and a, a sniper rifle for the sniper. I wonder if they go does... in and figure out, like, who's out of the people pre-ordering this game, what character classes do they play most in TF2 and tailor the items I, for those? I think in this case, because uh, all, uh, all of the guns look, for, like, futuristic, I think they just kind of worked them into the characters that they would most likely be in the hands of. Oh, okay. And then gave them, and they gave them mechanics that are useful to those characters. So the sniper rifle specifically has, I think it's um, on full charge, there's 45% additional damage. Uh, but you can't fire it while scope. Oh, and also on full charge, it penetrates players, so you can kill more than one person. The other, the downside is you can't fire it unscoped, which you can do with the regular. And um, uh, shots leave trace around. Uh, you know, the visible tracer, mm-hmm. so people can see where it's like from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm still thinking about Zoltan. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the other thing is uh, Devil Survivor Overclock. So we got one person buying Deus Ex, and we got one person buying Overclock. That would be Anna. Um, I'll be buying Deus Ex too. Well, actually, oh, okay. I've already got it pre-ordered. Two Deus Exes. 
two. Two Deus Exes. Ah, ah, ah. Is that it? All right. All right, all right. So there's our new releases. And people get to play stuff other than their old games. Has anyone been enjoying their time off from gaming? I hope so. Now it's time to get back in the pool. And don't let these get uh, washed away so that you're ready for the fall releases that are coming soon because summer's going to end soon and everyone's going to cry and it's going to be sad. All right. So we need, we have, speaking of things coming out, oh my gosh, guys, I have so many release dates for you. So many. So many. I'm going to go into them right now and I'm changing the order a little bit. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go into these right now and this is going to be interesting. Terra has a release date. It's not going to be interesting at all. I'm just going to try and keep it interesting because it's a bunch of release dates. It's so boring. Terra has a release date. Spring 2012. We will see it at PAX. We'll see it at PAX. All right. Ubisoft is delaying Might Magic Heroes 6, which isn't an RPG, but we cover it every- anyway. September 8th. No, so October 13th now, um, which is good because, uh, you know, they're, they they took feedback from the beta. Their beta had a bunch of crap and bugs. Yeah, and they're fixing it. And... I don't know. When and we're this gonna... time we didn't have to petition for it. Yeah, I don't know when we're going to figure out that it's not an RPG, but I guess we're just going with it for now. I really expect us to drop coverage by now. Persona Two: Innocent Sin, PSP. Uh, it's coming out in Europe now. We don't know when, but in North America, it'll be out September twentieth. Solata Robo, the f- uh, the sequel to Tale Tal- Concerto from the PlayStation. The sequel's on uh, on the Nintendo DS, and it'll be out, of course. Oh, we don't have the release date here. It'll be out soonish. But uh, what they announced is that there's going to be uh, a CD soundtrack that comes with the game, and it'll be included with your with the game for its normal price of thirty four ninety nine. So enjoy that. Fallout New Vegas has new DLC, and uh, they've got. Uh, uh, let's see. They give us the date. They just let us know that it's being delayed. That's right. It's being delayed. Lonesome Road won't be out this month. It was supposed to be, and. Uh, <laughs> It's not due to any major issue with the code or content, but there are lots of factors involved in releasing these things, and one of the, those is causing us to slip past our intended release date. Well, that sounds like publisher issues, doesn't it? Okay. What are some of the factors that can control things like that, Anna? See, I'm in a unique situation because in in a case like one of my games that's being delayed, it's the fact that the parent company went on vacation for a week. <laughs> I doubt I doubt that Bethesda's gone on vacation for a week or that right. Obsidian's oh. gone on vacation for a week. <laughs> so, you know, I think I'm uh, most of my delays are unique situations okay. that wouldn't necessarily happen in a console game. All right. I uh Chris, can I go on a very uh brief GDC related tangent? Yeah. Um the uh Epic guy um during his keynote uh provided a rather amusing example of when um g- delaying a game can actually be good. Um, the original Unreal Tournament was delayed by six months. Uh, I can't remember the reason why, although he did give one. Um, but during that, during that six months, you know, the, um, like the announcer chat that kind of made the game quite iconic at the time, you know, the double kill, multi-kill calls. Yeah. Added in during that six months. Oh, he said that actually most of the things that made Unreal Tournament successful were actually added into the game during the period of delay. Yeah, that's great. I like delays for that reason, especially. So I'm, I just don't, uh, I don't like when people talk around the reasons for delays. That's all. <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. Sorry, and, and you know, I think Dota Two stealing all that too. By the way, I was listening to it this morning on their on the Dota Two live stream for the tournament, and uh, it sounded like uh, 
they had multi kill, triple kill, and all that stuff going on. And I, I guess League of Legends. Well, stole I, it I first, mean, but... um, the things like um, uh, League of Legends has been doing that for a while as well. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah. I don't know. So that that it's funny you bring that up. That's influenced a lot of games today. Release date for Cloudoon X two, which uh, Cloudoon is short for Classic Dungeon. And what I don't remember how this game works. This is the eight bit style. Was it a roguelike? Anybody remember? It's just an action dungeon crawler with retro uh, style. If graphics. I remember, yeah, I think it was uh, it was an eight it was an eight bit styled roguelike that tortured Glenn for ages. Oh, good. So the second one the sequel has a release date on PlayStation Network on August thirtieth, twenty eleven. It's only going to be available on PlayStation Network. This is still a PlayStation portable game, right? The first one was. No, it wasn't. I'm just making that up. Okay, so it's a PSN download game. All right, great. So it's uh whatever. It'll be out on PSN on August 30th. So that brings it out, oh, almost a year since uh, the first one was released here. Hmm, interesting. Baconing. Uh, you've probably seen this if you signed in the PlayStation Store at all. Um, part of the PlayStation Network's Play program. Uh, there's four games that if you pre-order them, you get special stuff. And if you pre-order them all, I think you get like... I don't know what you get. Do you get something? No, probably not. Well, whatever. You get 20% off if you uh, if you pre-order it, so that's good. Uh, the Baconing, this is interesting. This is uh, the Death Spank sequel. This is the third Death Spank game, but it is uh, not being branded as Death Spank, the Baconing. It's being called the Baconing, which that's interesting. We're wondering if that has something to do with Cothead um, changing publishers for these games. It looks like they're going to publish it themselves as opposed to... I forget who was doing it before. Um, the so yeah, date of August thirtieth. They've had a different publisher for every game they've had. Oh, they have. Interesting. Okay, so August thirtieth for the Baconing, and uh, it's part of the Play promotion. And if you pre-order it, you get uh, a static PS3 game uh, theme and an extra companion named Roesha, one bad mother, whatever that is. And you get twenty percent off, of course. So. Check that out. Might and Magic Clash of Heroes HD, which you'll remember is out on the PlayStation Network and Xbox 360, I believe. Uh, it is getting DLC called I Am the Boss, and it allows players to take the role of one of the many game's bosses in a quick or multiplayer um, match. You may want to point out that this is the PC version that's getting DLC. There's this no... is, oh, this is just the PC version. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait. Okay. The PC version that was also announced in the same story. Yeah, so this is weird. Um, so th- I'm sorry about the ringing sound. It's going to go away soon, guys. So the PC version's data for September 22nd. It's getting this DLC for free if you buy it on the Ubi Shop. Um, you'll probably have to pay for it if you buy it on Steam or something. Sorry. So I don't know what Ubi Shop is, and if you want to use it, I can't recommend that store. I don't know them. Um, no announcement yet if the DLC will be out on 360 or PS3. So I'm sorry about that confusion earlier. So Clash of Heroes HD DLC rewarding the, the PC purchasers. Unfortunately, I'm a PS3 purchaser, so I'm a bit sad about that. Oh, well. I haven't played the game anyway. I should play the game before I worry about DLC. Kingdoms of Amalur. That's a game I might actually play, too. Uh, has a release date, finally. This is the... Kind of looks like Oblivion, but more colorful and... Being made by the baseball guy. Yeah, Kurt Schilling's 38 Studios and EA are partnering up for this one. Um, I guess EA is publishing it. It's called Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. It's going to be out in North America on February 7th and in Europe, so Quinn can play it on February 10th. And I don't know when it's coming to Egypt. 
if it's coming to Egypt. So I can't help Roy. Oh, I'll, I'll be back. Oh, okay, okay. Happens. So February tenth then for you. Yeah. I'll I'll be back next month. Okay. And then, uh, but before then, to tide you over, you can play Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, which is coming out on November twentieth in North America and November eighteenth in Europe. You get a couple days earlier, because as we've learned, Nintendo of Europe likes its users better. So, that's the date for Skyward Sword, and we also have the Secret World, which is a big MMO, uh, which is kind of weird. It's like we we previewed it at at PAX last year. We're probably going to see it again this year. Um, we saw it at PAX in 2009. Oh, has it been that long? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the one that has like the, the Illuminati and the, and the Crusaders and some other faction and you're fighting a bunch of supernatural stuff that shows up in real life and only these people see it and all this stuff. And anyway, it's a big MMO and you're fighting demons and crap. Coming out April 2012. And there'll probably be a lot of news on it next week when they're doing their media blitz at PAX. Yeah, I think we have an appointment with them. Yes, we do. I think we do. I think you asked for one. I don't know if we have it. Um, Disgaea 3 is coming on the Vita. Uh, Didn't we cover this like two weeks ago? I didn't. No. Okay. I don't believe so. Disgaea 3 coming out on the Vita. PSP remake. It's It's like the PSP remakes. It's going to have additional content for its release on the portable system. Four additional scenarios and two new characters in the last of the, the four additional scenarios. All DLC release for Disgaea 3 for the PS3 will be bundled in with the Vita version, which includes the four-chapter Rass Barrel scenario and cameo characters from other Nipponichi titles. Which... So here, here's what's bugging me about the, the DLC for Disgaea 3. If I go and play this on Vita, I can get all the DLC bundled in with the price of the game, right? But there's been so much DLC released for Disgaea 3, like a ton of it. And there's like no catch-up pack. There's no like, can I just buy this off for some, you know, promotional thing? Like, shouldn't they let me get it really cheap now? Uh, they might. Well, it's certainly possible when uh, when the, uh, the Vita version actually comes out. I know they've got the pack there, but it costs as much as the game does new. At least they do have a pack. Still. Okay. There's a full pack of all of the DLC. It isn't all out uh, yet, at though. Least on... It is. No, they were just telling I'm us this, sure. that, that there's more stuff next week, isn't there? Uh, I, th- I, I thought I saw so. an email from NIS just the other day about that. Maybe they're just rotating sales then. All right. I don't think so. And it, you're saying it's um, like 60 bucks or 40 bucks for the whole pack? Yeah, it's 40, it's 40 pounds for all of the DLC that has been released for Disgaea 2. Wow. I mean, you, Disguise uh, sorry, 3, for you Disguise 3. And you could, buy, you could buy it all separately. And I think it adds up to more than forty pounds. So forty pounds well, yeah. is still a saving. But as I said, <laughs> it's, it's it's bugging me that okay, we're going to have all this. We're, you're essentially getting the game of the year edition. Well, whatever you want to call it, since it obviously didn't win any game of the year awards <clears throat> for Vita. But they have no equivalent bundled package for for PS3. To get it all on PS3, you'd have to pay twice as much. That seems weird to me. I said there's a small possibility they may release it um, later, yeah. but I wouldn't bet highly. I wonder on if you it. can transfer. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start that again. And then uh, I guess they're focusing on the PS3 more on Disgaea 4 at this point, aren't they? Hmm. Uh, probably. <laughs> oh, speaking of Vita, we got some interesting news in the portables realm. Vita games, all Vita games will be guaranteed available as downloads. 
that was confirmed. They had a big press conference uh, like Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday this past week, and uh, they they announced that. They also announced that the PSP No will be coming out. This is the new PSP that's coming out for ninety nine euros, and will have no Wi Fi. And uh, it does not seem great, <laughs> but it will do. Uh, it uh, you know you can uh, play the play UMDs, and you can transfer your games over the MediaGo software onto your memory stick. This isn't that great. So who's excited to buy a new PSP that looks really cheap and has no Wi-Fi? No, uh, no sale. No sale. I already have one. <laughs> it, it, I, I already have my Go, so I don't need that. Usually, when you release a new model, your handheld, you want it to look better than the old ones, and this one just looks like a big step back, if you ask me. Yeah. So, I, I the internet has dubbed it the PSP No, and I love that. So, uh, PlayStation what's Three. It, what's, it actu- what's it actually called? Uh, it's just called the PSP E One Thousand. It's the E dash One Thousand, and I think because it's a Europe only SKU for now, so. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Whatever. Um, I think I'll just ignore that. Yeah, we don't. You know? have to, at the, at this point, we don't know that it's coming out in the U.S. at all. So, there's your discount PSP model because you know they really had issues selling PSPs. I guess I don't think so. I don't know. <coughs> but people bought them and hacked them, so it's a weird price drop. All right, here's a good price drop that everyone's kind of excited before. Two hundred forty nine dollars and ninety nine cents will be the new price of the PlayStation Three. And that's the 160 gig version. So there's 50 bucks off. And a, a new Infamous 2 bundle will be coming out now for 299 So you get the 360 gig system, Infamous 2, and 30 days of PlayStation Plus. Pretty good deal. That's, that's cheaper than buying the, the newly cheap system and the game, and you get double the hard drive space. That's great. Wonderful, pro- wonderful price drop for that. Over on the Microsoft side, nobody cares about the PS3 price drop. I'm getting the vibe. Okay. Over on the Microsoft side, we've got a new dashboard coming out. Are you guys excited? It's going to be called Twist Control. Oh, my God. It's clearly the best thing ever. Yeah. It's got heavier connect integration and new features that were announced at E3, like voice search with Bing, live TV, and YouTube, as well as cloud storage of game saves and profiles. Uh, beacons, I don't know what those are, and additional Facebook connectivity. Except for the fact that Bing sucks. Oh, with Beacon, you can say, you can tell friends that you want to play a game by doing this live will tell you that friends are playing the same game, even if you have to be doing something else. Have you tried to switch to Bing, Roy? Bing's not um, bad. It's fine. Well, it's I, I, I've, I've just videos. done... I've just done uh, examples or just like typing the uh, same thing into Google and get and into Bing and if I type something into Google, I'll get millions of hits for it. If I type in some a similar thing into Bing, I'll get almost nothing. I think but, the strength of Bing lies in its image and its video search, which is pretty good. Recipes, too. Yeah, YouTube is good service. for the video search. Yes. <laughs> but if you want to look at video at sites other than YouTube, which they, they do exist. <laughs> Surprising. No, I, it's good that there's a competent competitor. I mean, there's a good competent competitor to Google. I mean, you can't just depend on Google for everything. Competition's yeah. good. Competition's good. Bing needs to step it up now, though. It's time to to up that search algorithm and get it more prevalent in people's minds yeah. as a viable competitor so they stay in that position. Otherwise... They may be a viable competitor, but they're still not better. 
Right. Oh, Windows okay. Two, Windows Phone Seven. <laughs> Microsoft actually makes some good stuff. Yeah, except I haven't heard much positive about Windows Phone Seven lately. I've heard nothing but positive about Windows Phone Seven. I, I, in the past couple of months, it's like everyone cooled off on it, from what I've been hearing. So I don't know what's up. But, with that. but cooled off doesn't mean it's bad, right? Just it's not the hot no, thing. No, but no, but it also means it do, isn't pushing the envelope in any way, right? Like, well, is hey, there any excitement or movement? Right? It, it is much better than the touchpad and Web OS. <laughs> Poor thing. They just announced. How did that go? They just announced. Yeah, it's dead. And they've still got the announced. web pages. They didn't announce it, did they? It's just. How did people find out then? I don't even know. It just, you know the web page and all the info is still it's up. It's still up. I saw a Notco had posted that this morning. That's crazy. Best Buy's like, you know, we're gonna give you sixty days to get a refund for this thing. Poor HP touchpad. Oh um rest in peace, WebOS. Alright. So Nintendo gets on this too. They're gonna release a new Wii model that's apparently smaller, though I don't see how it's smaller. Maybe it's not as long. And this was announced for Europe because this was at Gamescom. We don't know when or if it's coming to the U.S. Here's a big thing. On their uh, Wii unit, which as far as I could tell is going to be the same price as everything else as, as the current one, it will be the same thing but with no GameCube support. No GameCube controller inputs. No backwards compatibility for GameCube games. And for those of you who really liked using your GameCube controllers, don't buy this version of the Wii. And uh, this does it do something different than the other way? Uh, yeah, it doesn't play GameCube games. Other than that, oh no! Um, except it makes it now harder. Where if you need to go buy a new Wii and you want to be able to play GameCube games, you're going to have issues. So you're going to have to find. This isn't. It's just like the PSP without the Wi-Fi. I'm sure they've done a ton of market research that that shows that in them in their market. People weren't using the Wi-Fi features to it to its fullest. They weren't going on Skype. They I weren't mean, downloading stuff in the store. And if so, there's if there's anything we've seen from Nintendo of America is that they really care care about their consumers and what they feel. You know, it's more. It's just more like, well, honestly, the person's buying a ninety nine dollar Wii. How much is it now? One hundred forty nine. One hundred forty nine. And the person's buying like one hundred fifty dollar Wii at this point. It doesn't care about the GameCube. I agree, but for those who have the Wii and have some of the older games that will make good use of GameCube controllers and stuff, it'd ni- be nice if you could, you know, actually replace it with something that does the same. Uh, uh, on the other end, it's nice for consumers who don't care about that stuff to be able to pick up a cheap little box. But it was already cheap. They They're not have... dropping the price. Aren't they? Is that what you just said? They dropped the price? I don't, I don't think they dropped it. It's already 150 That That happened in May, May 15th. Isn't the point of this that it comes with a price drop like the PSP one? I don't think so. Am I mistaken? No, I don't believe so at all. Hmm. Yeah. But you're right. Nintendo of America said uh, they have no plans. They like to say that a lot. They currently do not have any plans to release the Wii bundle that was announced by Europe, Nintendo of Europe. So, So, uh, by the way, uh, I should mention the bundled software for our European listeners with this new Wii bundle that has no GameCube, you get a copy of Wii Party and Wii Sports. Not Wii Sports Resorts, Wii Sports. <laughs> Something that's uh, been removed from the U.S. bundles and replaced with Mario Kart. So, interesting. Oh, how about cross-game voice chat? I'm loving all this console news. They're like lots of big console announcements at Gamescom. So, cross-game voice chat on the Sony platforms. It's never coming to PlayStation. Stop waiting for it. They said, why? 
They don't have enough memory in the system for it. And when they give memory to a game, it gets all the memory, and they don't have a way of changing that architecture. Apparently, they can't change it in software. But don't be dismayed. They're going to demonstrate that they care about that, and their next console will probably do it. And in fact, their next console is doing it. The Vita will have cross-game voice chat. And we can assume that their next home console will have it too. I would assume so. But anyway, so there's uh, there's finally an, an answer about cross-game voice chat for the PS3. Well, you know what's the, the funny thing, though, is that looking at that... Uh what they were talking about, the, the stats of the, the PS3. And I can see why it can't do it, because the PS3 has, I think, six six core processor in it and a pretty decent graphics card, but it has a crappy amount of RAM. Yeah. You will not believe how difficult it, it is to work with that setup. It, I don't it, it understand has, it, it, it why... It doesn't even have a gig of RAM in it, which computers have been having for over a decade. I, I don't get so. that, actually. Like, the like the Vita's only shipping with 512 megs of RAM. Really? They couldn't throw a gig of RAM in there? Was that, was that cost prohibitive? It just seems ridiculous not to have just scads of RAM in game consoles now. But, well, I, I would I would think that a console like the PS3, as powerful as it is, would have more RAM in it. But with that yeah. pathetic amount of RAM, yeah, I could see why it doesn't have any multitasking ability. I'm, for I'm that. consistently amazed at what designers are able to pull off given the small amount of RAMs in consoles. So, I, the, the PS the PS3 architecture, a lot of it is focused on uh, pushing jobs to the um, other CPUs. It's kind of pretty much how you program games on the PS3, and it is a pain in the ass. Please don't <laughs> sue me, Sony. <laughs> yeah, so I, it definitely makes sense with that low amount of RAM that it would have no multitasking ability whatsoever. Chris, what do they say about uh, what do they say about like consumer tech? Like whenever there's like a licensing fee or the cost of a, pro- of, a of a current piece of the hardware, internal stuff like it's five dollars. It adds like another oh, twenty yeah, to yeah. the consumer's end. Um. Ooh, I don't know that stat. But something like I, I've heard that before from other tech podcasts, like just some like a five dollar component or a licensing fee or an extra ten dollars on the smart that you're gonna have to pay for every that the manufacturer has to pay for every smartphone or whatever whatever component adds like another ten twenty bucks after manufacturing to 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 the side of the consumer. I always hear the other cost. side, like eliminating a five po- a five cent part saves the company you know billions of dollars. Because they're selling millions of units, well, sort of thing. But exactly. So that's so I'm I'm gonna assume that RAM is just one of those things. How much can we get away with? I, I don't know. It's a game console. <laughs> it just seems like one of the important parts, but I guess uh. not. It, mu- it must not be because they've been doing this for years like this. They always have small amounts of RAM. So I mean, shouldn't we be excited that it has 512? Because all the all the rumors were that it got cut. To, yes, that is the other half. story. You're right. Is that it was cut in half, and the and the guys like one of the game guys designing like Uncharted Four and stuff, or working on it. It was like, uh, no, we haven't done that. Oh, actually, it was a uh, Shuida. I don't know what he's working on, but uh, and I probably got his name wrong. I apologize. Anyway, but he's like, you know, no, we're working on games right now. So to have announced that the the RAM was cut in half, that'd be bad. We wouldn't be able to finish the games. No, it's still five twelve. <laughs> So, uh, um, how much memory does your iPad and iPhone four have? I don't know. I'm sure something comparable for like these small mobile devices, right? Let's see. iPad two, RAM. Okay, the original iPad had two fifty six. iPad two comes with five twelve. 
So it seems like that's just kind of standard for these small mobile multi-core devices. Yeah, seems to be. So that's good. Mm-hmm. But on the next-gen console, I'm sure we're all expecting more than 512 megabytes of RAM. I'm, I'm hoping so, but I again, I can't say for sure that how important that is because I just don't understand how they deal with that. Would you like to see multiple gigs of RAM, Quinn? Would oh, that be sorry, good? I was muted. Um, uh, yes, but I've been saying that um, I'd like to see console games on PC, so that would be my solution. Console games on PC. Well, I, I made that say. point. I remember I made that. I made the point about. I think it was about six weeks ago now, where I said that if the JRPGs I played had PC ports, I'd probably play them on PC. I, I, ironically enough, while I was bored, well, not bored, but during my downtime in Germany, when you know, in the evening in my hotel room, I did actually finish Last Remnant, the PC version. Wow, that, you must have a lot of downtime. Mm, not you quite. Working but on. I was just, I was just, yeah, yeah, I was basically just bored in the when I got home in the evening. I didn't have that many other games available on my laptop, but uh, Last Remnant was one of them. Well, unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work out so well. Take a look over at the From Dust port that apparently did very poor on the PC. Oh, really? Didn't they flat out lie to their? Didn't they flat out lie and say this doesn't have always on DRM and ended up did having always on DRM <laughs> yeah. and the port sucks and the control sucks? I kind sucks. of remember because yeah. I, I I listened. I was interested in it from reading from sorry from watching the I think it was the Giant Bomb Quick Look because yeah. you know there was the it's parallels uh, between it and say. Um, Black like and white. The original, yeah, black. The original black and white. Um, and I was like, damn, you know, this will probably look really good on the PC. But if they've done a crappy job on the port, you might, no, yeah, you no might no want to see sale. if they patch that before you get into it. Oh, it's gonna be heavy. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna wait. I mean, I've got like Deus Ex on pre-order now, so okay. it's like I'll just wait until Friday and play a much better game. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, some people probably aren't playing Eve this Friday, so this is fun. This is great. So th- these people set up a website and they started like this bank that actually paid out interest in ISK, which is the in-game currency in EVE. And everyone's buying into this thing. It's a big investment pool and they're doing stuff and they were getting profit. Everyone was happy. Then one day they shut down the website and took all the money and um, put up a post that, yeah, we just have been running a Ponzi scheme and we made one trillion ISK. And, all, uh, I really, all I can really say to the people that invested disc in that bank on the in that bank is, why the hell did you not pay attention to it when last time this happened? Banks, <laughs> everyone who runs a bank in Eve just wants your money. They're not providing you a service. They're going to screw you over. Eve is a human bastardry simulator. That's how it's been described to me. <laughs> all it does it just brings out the worst in everyone. And you were on the, the command council, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, and I was in I was in IS I was in ISD for CCP. If anything, just to get out of it, and I still didn't save me. Oh, uh, what was I going to say? This is uh, interesting because uh, one of the the interview topics that we're going to be talking about with Eve at PAX is the fact that they have an economist on staff. So yes, I think I this is uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting discussion on the Ponzi scheme with the Economist. Yeah, uh, they'll probably just yeah, give us a, guy who they'll give us company the, uh, the quarterly economic report that talks about how they try and balance things on economic along economic lines for what they for what some players call market PVP. Nice. I you know I just recently read that article in uh, the Economist about the S and P uh, downgrade. It was really fascinating. Oh, sorry. They have an economist on staff. Yeah, not the economist. (laughs) 
Oh, let's talk about WoW. WoW had some big news this week. Um, first off, the whole real ID friend thing where you can like friend people, play dungeons with people on other servers, that's live and it's free. Everyone was yeah, bitching about this. this. Nice. Yeah, everyone was bitching about that and like, no, no, we're going to do it for free. So you, now you can play with your friends from other servers and dungeon with them without paying an extra fee. That's pretty cool. Uh, two other bits of news came out this week. The 4.3 patch notes came out, and they have three big points that they're adding. Uh, Deathwing's Raid, where you can actually fight Deathwing's in there, and three new five-man dungeons are going in. The cosmetic armor skins, they're adding that, so you can uh, take Ooh, armor... caveat. Nope. Legendary items, you cannot skin. Okay, well, barely anybody has those anyway, so... No. No, 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 because there were people that were going to go back and get, like, Thunder Fury, right? Yeah. Well, Except you can't, you can't that use anyway. that skin. You can't get Thunder Fury anymore. Well, I know, but I'm using a bad example, but you yeah. know what I mean. Or maybe you can. I don't remember. Okay. so I, yes. I'm, I, there is, I think you can still get Thunder Fury. It's the staff you can't oh, get. Oh, that's anymore. right, the staff. Okay. So anyway, you, 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 for all your other armor, you can take your older equipment and apply its look to your new equipment. That's cool. And they're also going to give you an armor closet to store your old gear, because now you're going to be keeping all this old crap around that you like the look of for. So they're going to put, give you an armor closet, put that in, so it doesn't take up your valuable bank spots. And then, finally, one thing that really affects the gameplay, they're adding a raid finder. So you will have, uh, it operates like Dungeon Finder, allowing you to automatically search for fellow players to hunt for a good raiding party. It'll be built into the game's user interface, and it'll be part of patch 4.3. So there you go. Lots of WoW goodies coming out for those people who play a WoW. Not I think I think the first thing. Yeah, I was going to say I think the first thing that I'm going to try it on is that uh, the uh, eye patch you get from an early. Uh, I think it's one of the, the, the stockades raid. Uh, raid, the stockades dungeon. Uh, early in the game, get a fancy little eye patch, leather piece, piece of leather armor, leather head. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, there's a really I, nice monocle you can get if you're a caster. <laughs> Mm. I, I, I can somehow see a lot of Worgen players um, using it on the uh, top hat you get if you That's, can. Oh, yep. I have to go get the top the hat somehow. I don't even you know can. if I can. No, no, you can't. It's uh, part of the Worgen starting quest chain, which but you it's probably gray. don't have access to. It's not gray. It's white and soulbound. Oh, because it's a quest reward. Lame. I have to wait for character item transfers of soulbound items. It's very dapper. <clears throat> yeah, very dapper. <laughs> Well, I'll no, have to find Chris, one that just looks like level. it. You're just uh, gonna have to. Uh, you're just gonna have to level up a wagon from scratch anyway. and transfer over all yeah, my. From yeah. Okay. Hey, I've leveled <laughs> up another. I've leveled up another character from scratch. I have yes. two eyes now. And get get all my gear again. Sweet. That'll be great. I can raid again in six months. Uh, <laughs> More know, like four weeks. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Some bad news for Neverwinter. People looking forward to the new Neverwinter game that Cryptic was working on. Um, as part of the fact that Cryptic's now been bought by Perfect World Entertainment, they are delaying um, the, the release of Neverwinter, the new Neverwinter. It will now come out late 2012. And apparently, this is, quote, this is uh, Perfect World's trying to invest in a, quote, more immersive experience. So there's some news on Neverwinter for you. I don't know if anyone is looking forward to that. They, 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 I don't like how the press has been handled for that game, and it's probably part of that whole acquisition and and transfer of ownership. But like, really, nobody knows what's going on with that game anyway. So it's probably good that it was delayed. I think we've all pretty much put it on our wait and see list. Yeah, and I haven't been seeing much of anything. Uh, here's something I have been seeing, but I can't tell you about it. 
the older public, which I got into the beta for, um, and that's all I can tell you. I actually verified. I can tell you I'm in the beta for it. <laughs> that's all I can the say. Amus- the amusing thing is, is uh, I played the Old Republic at Gamescom, and uh, there was no such caveat in place. Yeah, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I can probably tell. I I didn't play the game that much, but I can probably talk about it more than you can. Well, they don't want amusing. me. To, you know, they're trying to prevent me saying anything about whether or not the game's performing well or not, but. Um, I, I can probably make a couple of amusing, rather amusing, inflammatory statements about it. Oh, really? I'll get to that. Oh, okay. Well, this is probably the time. Oh, you're, oh, I see. All right. Well, here's the news part of it, then. Um, they're going to limit the amount of copies they sell at launch, both di- digitally and at retail. <laughs> yeah. So they are going to... I think- this is, I am totally on board with this, and I'll tell you why. As a system administrator in my main job, I understand how hard it is to support and, and provide hardware that's going to meet uh, something crazy like a bazillion Star Wars nerds getting on and banging their lightsabers together at the same time. How do you do that? You need a number. You need to plan for a number and know how many people, what's our worst case scenario going to be, how many servers do we need, this sort of that. Here's- and if they limit their amount of copies, which is what it seems to be doing, and that gives them a target number to plan their hardware for, and that's going to the 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 reason they're giving is that it helps them avoid the uh, issues of having too much load at launch and the servers not being able to keep up with it. Of course, this doesn't change the fact that a lot of people don't like this and they're going to want to buy the game on the day it's out and they don't care about this limit. It's all BS to them, and they're not going to be happy with this at all. Here's my concern twofold. Number one, as a community manager, this is just a nightmare to try to handle. Mm-hmm. I just I feel so bad for their for their PR and their and their community managers. Number two, not only is E eight or who, who it's EA that's publishing this, right? Yeah. Not only is EA still taking pre orders, so are brick and mortar stores. And um I was looking around last night and the brick and mortar stores are like, We'll take your money, but we're not gonna guarantee you a copy. And EA is doing the exact same thing, and that I think is just not cool. Okay, now I want to throw a big caveat here. This is based off a Game Informer report talking to a representative um, of the game at Gamescom. And, wait, no, because uh, because they did actually confirm this. When? They did confirm it yesterday. It was, that was the article that I was reading on my laptop. Okay. Okay. So they did confirm this for sure? Okay, They did confirm it, yes. All right. So, yeah. So, So what are we going to say then? I'm irritated because they are still taking pre-orders for it. Yeah, they haven't we'll given us what's the number. Yeah, what's the, the number? How do we plan the game for it? Is not good. Well, maybe it is. We don't know. Maybe they're going to say, okay, what are our current pre-order numbers at? All right, we're going to add this much more. Let everybody down the chain know, and we're going to cut off at this point. Maybe that's all to be done later. Mm. They didn't give a timetable, so... Yeah, but they're already telling people now, we will take your money, but you may not get a copy. They said that specifically? Yeah, like... Um, well, is GameStop couple... saying that, or did EA say that? Both. Really? Okay. Yeah. Sweet. So, you know, this is what I think is slimy. Yeah, that is pretty slimy. Uh, can I just kind of... Uh, Chris, am I allowed to break the um, swear filter for just a moment here? <laughs> I'd prefer you do. Am I? How, how, how bad do you feel? Uh, all I can really say as far as that particular business practice is concerning, as in pre-order, taking money without guaranteeing a copy, is basically... It's pretty... Go- yourself. Yeah. Just, you know, short, simple, you're all a bunch of ballywankers. 
Mm-hmm. Ballywankers. The problem is, is that people are going to be driven to this by the fact that you know. Oh yeah, they've just they've, said, they've just uh, we're they've limiting ju- the number of copies. Pre-order it now. Oh, but by the way, if you pre-order it now, you still might get hooped. Yeah, they've they've totally added a uh, fake scarcity. They've just added scarcity to the game, which may increase sales, may make a fever, which is what they're kind of hoping for. So this could all be a PR game. For all we know, they're going to limit it the first day, and the next day have a bunch more. We don't know. So this could be really slimy. This could be very legitimate. Um, the, conceptually, it, it makes sense in, from away, but they really should uh, follow it up with a bit more care for their customers right well, now. The uh, the I'll say the irony is is um, I went to um, a, a couple of the talks that I went to on the Wednesday when I wasn't at game the trade stuff for Gamescom were mm-hmm. uh, community stuff about com- uh, community management basically. The um, you know there were the, uh, there were talks there was uh, one talk entitled which I didn't get to unfortunately which was done by um, Valerie uh, the um, lead community manager at CCP you know I don't um, I'm not particularly envious of her position considering how volatile Eve's player base is um, but um, oh god what did she say it was uh, her talk was going to be entitled um all i learned about managing communities i learned from watching jurassic park really um, yeah yeah that was the title of her talk interesting um, amusing i mean some people may find it amusing but um the representative from sony was given the um like the community managers award this year for effectively managing a community without either games or forums Okay. Because um, basically, obviously, in the wake of the um, the the hacking stuff, you know, they lost ba- effectively lost their primary means of communication with players. You know, their users. So what did um, they? What did he manage? She. What did she manage? As, well, no. What she had to then try and do was to try and manage this kind of fractured base of, uh, you know, Sony. You. Sony users who are all feeling quite pissed off that the service is and down. And she won an award for that. Yeah, for doing but it. It relatively wasn't very well. good. I I've disagreed with you in the past on that. In all honesty, I think you already know my position on it. So I think Sony did relatively well considering the circumstances. So. Okay. But anyways, might not get into it. <laughs> I don't remember having that discussion. So. Uh, let's see. EA. We're talking Old Republic, aren't we? Is there anything more here? Probably not. Oh, and uh, it'll only take half a million subscribers for the Old Republic to be profitable. They're reiterating that. And, uh, sweet. So that might be, for all we know, that might be it. That might be, uh, that might be what they're looking right, for. Right, and some of the articles that I was reading, analysts have it at... More than 3 million copies sold within the first year and 2 million subs at the end of the first year. We shall see if those numbers come true. And how long they last, too. Oh, here's a fun Blizzard story. So apparently Blizzard, this is fun, Blizzard staffer, uh, lead designer Josh Mosquera, Mosquera, I don't know how to say that name, stated that Blizzard Blizzard is very, very serious about bringing the Diablo 3 experience to the console. All I can say, it's going to be awesome. Stay tuned. So that is totally happening. So that should be exciting. Um, 
I don't know what that means, though, since a good portion of console users are offline a lot of the time, aren't they? So it'll be an online only. Chris, you're trying, you're trying to apply logic to a company that's owned by Activision. Ah, you're just, right. So it'll just be just online only. And they'll put a logo on the box, and people will buy people will buy internet just to play it on their console. It'll be fine. So. That's cool. I like that anyway. I think internet should become a basic utility along with water and sewage. So I'm okay. With uh, that. You didn't uh, you didn't hear about efforts in Europe to have internet. Um, uh, Declared a necessity by the UN. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Do it. De- declared a necessity under uh, under the uh, human rights laws. I, I so. agree with that. I like that. Oh, interestingly, and, yeah. Um, in some places in Canada, they're already attempting to basically legislate that. Like in Manitoba, they've been legislating for about four or five years now the requirement to get um, stable. And minimal speed, uh, like a minimum speed internet <coughs> into r- parts of rural Manitoba that basically don't have internet or that have really crappy internet. I mean, you've seen, uh, you know, Elian, <laughs> Tom, he plays in I'm Harry R. You've seen how awesome his internet is. He lives in rural Manitoba. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's going to be great. And you know what else I think is going to be great? Level five is having a private expo. So this is going but it's not going to be open to the public this year. So they had a previous event last year, but uh the this is going to be held October 15th and 16th at the Tokyo Big Site Convention Center. If I hear more and more about Big Site, I don't know what it is if it's any good. Uh, big Site's the the Big Site's the place they hold Comic-Con in every year. Okay. So it's quite it's the it's quite a famous cool. it's, it's got a bit of pedigree if anything. All right. Sweet. So that that's they're going to do that. I think, and... I think it is actually, I, I, from what I know, I think it's actually one of Tokyo's like primary like conference centers. A bit like how um, Colin Massé is for uh, Gamescom. So. so this is, they said they're going to be too late on a number of their new titles that they've been working on in order to be able to show them at Tokyo Game Show. So instead they're going to show them at their own event is what they're saying here. So, so yeah, a bit like what Nintendo already do sometimes. Yeah. So that, that should be fun. Look forward to that. And with that, that's our news. That's it. So it's time to talk about what we've been playing. And so, Quinn, I think first off, you got some games, yeah, Gamescom yeah, stuff. It's time for more. you to talk some more. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. What would you get okay, to play that so... we haven't even gotten to see yet? Come on. Okay. Well, the first thing, uh, actually, I'm trying to remember which one I played first. Uh, it was Guild Wars 2, actually, at the NCSoft. All booth. right. Uh, Guild Wars 2, um, set, uh, I think it's a few centuries after the original one. Basically, uh, some old dragons wake up and, uh, wreck the place pretty badly. Um, so the, um, uh, the characters in Guild Wars 2 are kind of, uh, fighting their way through the world that was in Guild Wars after it's been spectacularly ruinated by ancient dragons. Um... And it, rather than just being limited to playing uh, humans this time, you also have access to uh, a bunch of the other races, some of which will be familiar to Guild Wars players, and a couple that won't be, or one that won't be. I think you can play as uh, human, uh, you can play as uh, Char, so the sort of large beastie cat type things. Uh, you can play as an Asura, the... Um, the little short guys from Eye of the North. Uh, you can play as a Norn, 
which are the really tall uh, characters, also from Eye of the North, that turn into bears when you attack them. And also there's uh, Silvari, which are um, basically tree spirits, I think. Um, and the um, I think what was really noticeable about Guild Wars 2 is um, in the original, you literally just kind of picked a character class. Um, you picked a character class. Uh, you picked... The character creation was pretty simple, um, and the customization was relatively limited. Uh, they've changed a lot of that for Guild Wars 2, um, so the, the, the class selection is much the same. But this time they've also added a bunch of additional things that um, you effectively pick out a life path, for your, like a, a kind of backstory for your character. Um, so I did. I kind of created uh, a human uh, elementalist, because my first Guild Wars character was also an elementalist. And when I went through the uh, startup uh, character creation... Uh, so as well as picking my class and um, you know changing what my character looks like, I could also um, pick under which of four the four elemental signs I was born under, uh, which grants you a specific piece of starting equipment. Um, and then there's uh, <clears throat> I think there's stuff like um, they're like uh, they're almost like the um, personality questions that some other RPGs do at character creation. And then there's also like a kind of very condensed backstory for your character, like were you a street thief or were you a son of uh, some fancy noble? Um, now I didn't have. Now the problem is I didn't have a lot of opportunity to test out what happens if you change any of these options, as I only created one character. Um, but I think the uh, opening experience um, I had, which was defending one of the last human settlements left in the uh, nation of Kryta from. Uh, invaders was specific to my at the very least my character race and my character uh my character background um i suspect that the other um the other backgrounds probably don't change like the opening uh the opening part of the game that much but they do it does change how characters interact with you and talk to you um the other thing i noticed in the character status screen was um, there is a kind of what appears to be, I think it was a morality slider actually. Hmm. Um, and I, I say there are, um, in the, in the first game, when you talked to a character, you just had like simple text boxes. Uh, while they have retained that in a way for, um, Guild Wars 2, um, what you now get when you talk to an important character is you kind of go into this kind of conversation framing window type thing. And, you know, all of the, the conversations are fully voice acted, and the voice acting does sound a lot better than it did in the original Guild Wars. Uh, I, I, my personal opinion is that the, the original Guild Wars voice acting didn't actually improve until the expansion right at the end. That is Eye of the North. Um, and it was... Uh, I, I, as um. So actually playing as an elementalist, uh, one of the major changes that was immediately apparent was you couldn't cast spells while moving, which you couldn't do in the original. Uh, moving would cancel any spells cast. Or uh, most spells that had a cat long cast time would lock you in place while the spell was casting. Uh, and this was, unlike, say, World of Warcraft, there was no ability you could use that could kind of remove this. If you were casting a spell, you stopped moving, and it made you a rather easy target. Um, so yeah, this time you you kind of uh, at least with the simple spells that I had, you kind of 
you know, you can move around. You can uh, there's a dodge button, so your character can actually Kirk combat roll to dodge enemies, which is something you couldn't do in the first game. Um, God, what else? Um, so yeah, so the way it was, uh, the way that the actual like skills were laid out, I think they've they've changed it, and I think there's been some uh, talk about how they've structured it. So that um, every character class, now as I say again, I didn't have the opportunity to test out more than one, um, has both attacking abilities, but also have the ability to perform support as well at the same time. Um, so basically all character classes can uh, like heal to a certain respect. Um, so ele- the Elementalist character at the start gets a, um, a glyph that, um, provide you with a heal and a short power boost on like a 20 second cooldown or something like that um, the other thing was um, orig- uh, the, the character seemingly just starts with a basic fireball um, but uh, the elementalist at the very least has this attunement system where you uh, can li- literally just press one of the function keys and it switches your attunement say from water to fire uh, from fire to water and you suddenly have new spells and you can do this on the fly in combat, uh, which is uh, pretty awesome, actually. It, it, there's something to be said about um, being able to switch very quickly from a character throwing fireballs uh, at an enemy to a character who can then throw water bolts, which also heal uh, nearby allies. You know, combat. I think they're kind of focusing a lot on the characters, uh, each individual characters being very adaptable. Um, and that's really about it, actually. I, I, I didn't... Uh, I unfortunately didn't get a lot of time on the, the uh, Guild Wars 2 demo. Um, <laughs> Sounded like you did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've managed to to kind of rush through this kind of early stuff quite uh, quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, but it, I say it was, um, it just felt like such a, you know, it, it, the knowledge that it was going to be on the same payment model as the original Guild Wars and probably structured in a similar manner, I think gave me a lot of hope for the game. As in, this is going to be like Guild Wars, but better. And I enjoyed Guild Wars quite a lot. You know, and any game that, that improves on the flaws that it had is automatically good in my books. Uh, so what else do you want to hear about? I, I, I don't know what else was there. Um, okay, uh, the, other one I def- the other one I hands-on tested was Star Wars The Old Republic. Oh. Um, now, I'm just going to... I'm going to offer yet another caveat here. I am not a Star Wars fan, um, and uh, I, I just I'm interested in other sci-fi. But um, so I can imagine I would probably get some hate mail for suggesting it. But at, at a basic gameplay level, it's World of Warcraft again. I it, I'll try and explain what I'm talking about here. Um, basically. When I got into the game uh, as a new ca- new level one character, I was in you know introduced to um, like the the setting in one you know glorious cutscene you know Bioware quality cutscene, uh, which I should hope for since it's made by Bioware. Um, but once you know once the game actually started and the interface actually kind of you know started up, I had you know my the same action bar with two abilities on plus a. Um, actually, it had a couple more than that. It, I had fi- I remember I had five abilities on my bar. I had two attacking abilities, so basically swing my practice lightsaber at someone. I was playing as a trainee Jedi Knight character who start with basically a glorified stun baton. Um, 
And I had two attacks, you know, swing swing your thing and swing your baton slightly harder. Um, I had what could best be described as a hearthstone on a 30-minute cooldown. On a 30-minute cooldown, I kid you not. Um, uh, and a, a, you know, like a meditation, so like an out-of-combat self-heal and um, a, uh, an, a, like a, a 60-minute buff that just gave you um, uh, like 5% boost in certain abilities and whatnot. And um, the actual mechanics of playing the Jedi is similar to playing a rogue in World of Warcraft. If you don't know how that works, it's basically you build up. Um, by attacking, you get points. Uh, these, this time, unlike the Rogue World of Warcraft, though, uh, the points are kind of not on the enemy, they're you. And then you use these force, these focus points to use your more powerful abilities. The problem was, was kind of like as soon as I got the story out of it, and, you know, when I'm in these cutscenes, I do get the Mass Effect-esque dialogue wheel so I can be a dick to people as much as long as I continue pressing the three. You know, keep selecting the bo- bottom option. You can smack talk your Jedi Master. Um... But once I actually got, you know, the, the gameplay started, it was kill 10 attacking flesh raiders. And I thought, oh, God, I'm in World of Warcraft with a Star Wars skin on. Um, the dialogue stuff, did you feel it makes any difference what choices you make? Now, yeah. Now, this, the, the, the two things, now, okay, the, the, that kind of, um, you know, like, description towards it is quite uh, broad and simplistic. Um, the, the, the actual cuts, the, like the cutscenes, the storyline cutscenes are very well done. The voice acting's great. Um, the dialogue choices are probably what you come to expect from Bioware. There is the, um, you know, the, the character does have a, again, with the om, almost omni, eh, omnipresent morality slider, you know, so you, you know, you sure you can be a douche to your Jedi master, but you'll probably get dark side points for it. Um, and the, 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 at the very least, the storyline cutscenes did felt extremely well done. I just couldn't, whenever the hell I was in gameplay, though, I just couldn't, as I say, shake this feeling that I was playing World of Warcraft again. Uh, it was prettier. The, 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 obviously, because um, The Old Republic is a newer game, it's, um, you know, it, it, the graphics engine is more refined than Blizzard's offering. Um, and so, for example, when you actually run up to a character in melee combat, for example, you do actually kind of at least uh, it has a semblance of you actually dueling with the other character. You know, you actually kind of swing swords and clash and whatnot, and you get the authentic Star Wars sound effects, as it were. You know, it's kind of like you can't build a game where you're fighting with lightsabers without including the iconic sound effects, you know. That's 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 a sin, as far as I'm concerned. It's a bit like making a, it's yeah, it's a bit like making a Star Trek game without the phaser sound. You know, you don't do it, or the swoosh sound that the doors make. Um, now, <clears throat> but so when it was actually when I was actually like in combat, you know, it to say that the combat felt smooth, it felt responsive, and it it looked very good. Um, I'm just wondering. Um, I, I, I'm under the impression that I think the Old Republic will sell because it's a Star Wars game that isn't Star Wars Galaxies. Um, but I, as I said, as someone who's just like recent, you know, recently got back into World of Warcraft, I just couldn't shake that feeling that, that I was just playing World of Warcraft again. But I think what the uh, the turning point for many people is 
is it while that may be the case it's world of warcraft with a much better storyline and i think that's what will sell it for a lot of people a better Um, storyline huh yeah, so you don't you don't like it. some of the writing and stuff in the in the well storyline as in like the game overall or as in the uh, quest well, lines. Well, the thing is, World of World of Warcraft just doesn't do uh, doesn't do a lot of cutscenes. You know, you always talk to characters via like pop up text boxes. Whereas uh, yeah. the Old Republic, um, they have these kind of like semi instance things where basically you have um, if you go on a an, an open area, you can see. Um, like, uh, like, say, the entrance to a cave, and it will be marked saying, you know, this is a storyline area. Um, so, you know, you, um, there, you know, this this is a storyline area. Um, it tells you how many people are allowed inside it. So, whether it's a solo affair or whether you're allowed to bring people in with you, and I think, um, so it kind of, uh, it it has a kind of instancing slash phasing present that means that the storyline can kind of. Uh, proceed in a, a sort of uh, pleasing fashion, um, and it, uh, you know when you uh, in Warcraft you walk up to someone and you talk to them in text boxes. In the Old Republic, you walk up to them and you actually get into a speaky speaky cutscene, a la Mass Effect, you know, complete with dialogue wheel. Mm-hmm. So, and full I voice said, acting, I think right? with full voice acting. So I I somehow suspect that what will even though I've you know said that I. It's World of Warcraft with a Star Wars skin. I think what will sell it for people, and not me, because I, I say I'm not that interested in Star Wars, um, is, yeah, it brings the gameplay that World of Warcraft has, but it brings a much better storyline right. with it. And I think that's sort of my concern, is everybody's like, I want to play because it's Star Wars. And I'm like, I have no interest in Star Wars. I got into it way too late. I grew up on Star Trek. Sorry. I, yeah, I am also a Star Trek person. Although my preferred sci-fi of choice is Macross. Um, and uh, <laughs> just what? just proving Zoltan's comments on the forums. That's all. This <laughs> point bears repeating. <laughs> about you being the otaku guy who talks about playing Vesperia and uh, and whatever else. Go watch Macross, you lazy bastards! I've I, see, I, you know, Macross I think Plus. I saw Macross when I was a teenager. It had a singing computer. Yeah, Macross Plus. Yeah, and Apple is, something. Yeah, it, it it that one's automatically awesome for basically calling Hatsune Miku about ten years before they invented her. Oh yeah, that's the that's the Vocaloid. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But basically, Macross Plus called the Vocaloid about a decade before Yamaha said, "Hey, you know, let's invent this uh, this uh, synthetic singing character." It's like, no, nah, Macross did it first. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, uh, back to point. Um, yeah, I, I well, say, Star Trek did the I, iPad first, so there. Mm, I am perfectly happy with saying, you know, The Old Republic, it will probably be a pretty enjoyable game, but it's not for me because I don't like Star Wars. Um, I'm still half tempted to give it a try because I often try well, Does it matter if like, it's Star Wars as long as it's sci-fi? Why does the setting matter that much? You're not going to well, find them. Well, remember that Star Wars has their... It has um Star Wars was, or like kind of because it's been going for so long kind of has its own aesthetic involved. Yeah. Um and I'm just I say I just don't get on with the setting that much. So it's a personal thing. As I said <laughs> I I am I think that for people who really enjoy Star Wars, Star Wars uh, the, the Old Republic will be the MMO of choice. For those of us who don't enjoy Star Wars, we play World of Warcraft because Star Trek Online isn't very good. <laughs> 
Isn't that right, Anna? No, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I have avoided Star Trek Online like the no, plague. I played it. Cryptic? <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, oh, yeah. The I went to the presentation at uh, CD Projekt's booth for The Witcher 2. That was awesome. Mostly because of how they laid it out. I mean, uh, if you went to the one in their business booth... Um, you gave your name over, and uh, CD Projekt were a little bit nicer about letting a simple trade visitors like me into their secret, super-secret presentation that they were probably giving down in the public area anyway. Just, you know, the one with the, this one had a shorter queue and more free stuff. Um, and <laughs> Oh, oh, uh, you know, oh they, I want to hear about Witcher loot. What sort of Witcher <laughs> loot did you get? Um, it was kind of amusing, because when you uh, asked at the desk about it, they um, they took your name, and they then gave you... They like um, what they did for me because I they didn't the first time around was um, they handed they hand you a, a letter, you know, a, on a piece of paper from Geralt saying these people are awesome, um, and um, I took I took mine back over and they said uh, can you just put my name on it because I just want to have some Witcher loot and they said yeah okay I'll I'll put your name on the front and then put my name on the letter inside as well, which was nice of them. It was kind of like supposed to be like a kind of sealed invite to this little event. Um, that they were holding. So there was some free food available as well, free drinks. Um, and and they gave it like a full 45-minute presentation uh, um, with uh, um, uh, most of the stuff that wasn't trailers about um, basically the upcoming 2.0 version for the PC and the 360 release was uh, gameplay of the, you know, uh, live gameplay of the 360 version being played by a guy uh sort of in the in the uh in the room and um what i will say for anyone who is currently waiting for the witcher 2 on 360 is it still looks gorgeous good um now i think anyone waiting for the witcher 2 probably knows pretty much already exactly what it's about so they don't kind of need me to twitter on about it but i say it looks fine that there was very little slowdown um, I don't. Uh, they they approach. Uh, CD Projects mentioned that they were not approaching um, uh, the 360 version of The Witcher 2 as a port. They were uh, kind of approaching it as a kind of rework onto the console. They were kind of trying to get rid of this port mentality, so they could just take the PC version and put it straight onto the 360. Um, so they, you know, they've spent quite a bit of time kind of tweaking The Witcher 2 to make sure it runs well. Um, um, they would have to because the the 360 is nowhere near powerful enough to run the PC version. Well, probably not as powerful enough to run the PC version on full graphic settings anyway without using a few bodges here and there. Um, I mean, no doubt the PC version probably still looks better, but it uh, you know for a console uh, for a console RPG, The Witcher 2 on 360 looks pretty good. Um, and uh, so they 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 showed off a, a short sequence of gameplay, which of course will be pretty familiar to anyone who's already played it. Um, and, um, so the other stuff that they were talking about, though, was, um, the upcoming, uh, PC update, uh, to Witcher 2, uh, which called, uh, version 2.0, um, incorporates, I think, uh, all of the DLC, they you know, this is for anyone who's kind of, like, jumping onto the, sorry, there's a lot of noise going on at the moment, um, 
uh, anyone jumping onto the, the the Witcher 2 bandwagon late, kind of, uh, you know, the 2.0 version will bring, I think, all of their DLC, uh, all of their uh, technical fixes and whatnot, including ones designed for the 2.0 version. Um, the game will also get uh, something called Dark Mode, which is slightly less difficult than Insane Mode, in that you can save. Uh, and there are some bonus items for going through it in dark mode. Uh, there is also an arena system, um, which is integrated with their uh, forum online stuff, so you can post scores and compare and whatnot. Uh, and they also mentioned that all of the stuff being included in the uh, 2.0 version of the piece for the PC will also be uh, present in the 360 version. All of it. You know, um, um, one thing everyone keeps uh, forgetting to mention is that they're also putting in a, t- a tutorial mode. Oh, yeah, that's actually uh, um, that's actually one of the other things they were saying was um, when 2.0 comes out, they've reworked the tutorial quite a lot, so it's slightly more forgiving to new players. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what was the other one? Ah, yes, the, uh, the, 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 those fine folk at Bethesda um, gave me a pass to go attend their public presentation um, for Skyrim. Skyrim! Another 45 minute present, you know, 45 minute presentation. Uh, this time, uh, the gameplay was uh, clearly pre recorded because the actual presentation was being given in German because this was in the public areas. Um, but there were subtitles on the video in English, so there was still a level of comprehension involved. Um, the, the main stuff I got out of that one was they have removed the old leveling system from Oblivion and they've replaced it uh, with um, I, I, in Oblivion I seem to recall that in most of the time you could upgrade certain uh, certain numbers of your abilities by doing them like athletics and whatnot. am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Skyrim they've changed the leveling system so that now applies to everything. Um, well there, is there no... were two things in, in Oblivion. One, every skill leveled up independently depending on how you did it, and you had 10 major skills which contributed to your overall level. And if you increased 10 points within your overall major skills, your 10 overall major skills, then you increased one level. Yeah, I think um, the way they've done it this time now is they have now removed, uh, they've removed character classes, and you basically just become good in what you use frequently. You know, you pull out, pull out a, a, a sword, and a one-handed sword, and use it, you get points in... Um, you know, one-handed swords and stuff like that. And then basically they've got this system where um, your character gazes up at the, at the stars in the sky um, and you get... Um, there are basically constellations which cover um, skills um, and then you get granted uh, perks based on how far you progress through them. Uh, which is, I'd say, it's pretty good for character development. Um, character interaction is kind of what you'd expect from um, the Elder Scrolls series although they've changed it now so that um, time doesn't stop when you talk to people um, which I think was still present in Oblivion you know it kind of I think all the action froze when you were in a conversation with an NPC they changed it so that that isn't the case anymore and they move around they they go about their business yeah they they move around they do their jobs um, and uh, stuff um, they also took uh, the people watching on a journey through uh, one of the game's uh, like burial dens, so one of the dungeons. Uh, they claim that all 150 dungeons in Skyrim were handcrafted, so there was no procedural generation involved. 
Um, from what I understand, it, it sounds like he got the same thing that we got at E3. Wait, who Probably. was that giving the raspberry about that? Was that Manny Anna. or Anna? That was me. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I personally, as a programmer, I'm, I'm slightly suspect oh, of that. I, 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 what they said at E3 was that they um, that they were degen- procedurally generated, and then they went in and touched them up by hand. Uh, that may be, I think, in, in the marketing blurb for Skyrim, they're now saying that all dungeons were handcrafted. But Well, yeah. I guess if it was touched by designers, it's handcrafted now. Yeah, I mean, when you handcraft stone, you didn't make the stone, did you? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's it's a marketing point. I it's think stupid. that's obvious, it, but I, I think we're just arguing semantics at this point. Uh, I think uh, I'm just happy to actually spent the time to make sure each one has a bit of flavor depending on the region. and Yeah, yeah. You know. um, and they were so. showing off things like how you can basically dual wield like everything. Did almost. they hunt any possible. deer? Uh, no, but they did hunt dragons. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, yeah, dragons. that's the same demo they've been shown for a while. You always hunt dragons at the end. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I would the think they probably just stepped by a dragon and got tossed really far away. Uh, I don't know. In the demos you guys saw, did they actually kill any dragons? Yeah. Oh yeah. Two. Yeah. Sounds about right. I think uh, I probably I... have seen the same demo in that. And case. there's like a big mammoth, and you hit it, and then it gets angry and it looks at you. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about all right, right. So you got the same thing. <laughs> But it's all random, Manny. It's all random. (laughs) No, that one is not random. That one is scripted to show you what random could be. Oh, right, right. Of course. (laughs) Well, I I think they're probably just mentioning the dungeon thing to uh, clearly uh, make a point about um, Dragon Age 2's uh, rampant copy-paste thing from earlier this year. Yeah, No, no, people were bitching about Oblivion's dungeons. No, I, I'm actually one of my, the things I was going to talk about this week is I've been playing Oblivion just to wrap it up finally, and their the dungeons are even something the reason two people talked about why they 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 one and hand, they actually did handcraft everything, and the reason is that if any cave is just like any other cave, any city, I mean, just the layouts are practically identical. Any fort is just any other fort. You need your map constantly to know what you're doing and where you're, what's going on. Very few actually had any unique flavor, any unique anything. It was a real problem in Oblivion. And it just sort of, you felt kind of dirty and gross and you got a headache after a while because it's just the same dark, dark, tiny little tunnel that you've been in a hundred times before in a 60, 70, 80 hour RPG. It's really tiresome. Are there any mods for that, I wonder? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure there are. Dungeon improvement mod. <laughs> it was just, it um, just the thing that I noticed that stood out to me the most because I was playing, I was even still playing Oblivion during E3. Is that that even though the dungeons are dark, there's a lot more natural lighting. There's cracks in the roofs to let in sunlight. There are more torches that actually light more than like two feet around them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reflection. It just it feels like a real place and somewhere you actually want to be. As opposed to like dark dungeon number two. Let me get my light self skill on. Let me get my torch out. Oh, wait, my torch burned out. Great. Let me go back outside and go get another torch. I mean, uh, I'll say the uh, most of the other stuff I, uh, you know, the other stuff I played, most was either uh, watching other stuff or probably non-RPG stuff. Uh, To be brutally honest, on the, uh, I didn't take much advantage of the trade day. And in all honesty, on both Thursday and Friday, 
um, I did not want to spend most of my day waiting in queues. Mm-hmm. So that kind of discounted me from quite. And there were some, there were some uh, pretty impressive queues out there. Uh, uh, Diablo three is previously mentioned. I think I think past the four hour point uh, uh, at one point. So none uh, of those condoms. <laughs> Uh, there was a massive queue outside Battlefield 3, uh, and a similarly, a similarly sized one outside, uh, Modern Warfare 3. What was um, the, um, what was the queue for, like, Dota 2? Did you see that there? Uh, Dota 2 was actually, um, Dota 2 wasn't a queue, it was, um, they oh, had it set right. up as, um, Cause as it's like a an tournament. actual, yeah, they were, it was set up so people could sit and watch it. Now, on Friday, which is when I last passed by it, when they were doing one of the tournament games, the entire the entire seating area on both sides of it was full, um, and there were people at the edge of it, like looking in as well, because obviously they had it set up on big screens, so you could actually see it from quite a distance. Um, the ESL stuff certainly had a lot of people. The um, like uh, for on... people who don't know, ESL is um, Electronic Sports League. It's a European esports league that was having yeah, tournaments have, at Gamescom. I have, uh, I have one of their, um, I have one of their t-shirts, uh, the uh, carry only t-shirt re- referring to uh, those games. They were doing um, League of Legends tournaments, StarCraft two tournaments, yeah. uh, World the, of Tanks on, show matches. <laughs> on the uh, on the um, on the Thursday, uh, I was sitting at the back in the morning watching uh, the one of the lower. League of Legends games being played, uh, and the entire seating area was full of people cheering on and clapping when whenever a spectacular kill was done. It was, I would say, it was pretty. Uh, you know, it was like really great to be a part of that particular audience because it was great just kind of watching the game together and listening to people comment on strategies and stuff like that. It's pretty fun. Um, and I also got a chance to try out um, uh, League of Legends Domination. Uh, their new sort of map slash game type, uh, which is kind of like five versus five uh, with five points and it's territory control, um, which is pretty fun. Um, I spoke to the Riot PR guy about it, and he, uh, paraphrasing what he said, is basically if you don't find a fight in 30 seconds, you're playing the game wrong. It, you know, so there's none of this tedious laning phase, you just kind of get stuck in. And it's it's quite a lot faster paced than the sort of more traditional Dota style gaming in League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that will be uh, 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 make Noodle happy faces. Uh, the Kirby Wii game was being demoed in the Nintendo booth. Um, Zelda Skyward Sword was there, but my God, the queue was big. Um, and I think uh, Nintendo were definitely um, were definitely kind of going out of their way to make sure people had. Um, uh, like, um, made sure they had a good experience. It's like every like demo unit they had set up also had like a Nintendo representative standing to the left of it. Yeah, they always every do that. Down yeah. always, you know, most of the other ones, you know, they have like a representative for like yeah, a bank. That's, of that's how it's Nintendo. Nintendo you're spo- like Apple. You're supposed to experience it the Nintendo way. Also, yeah, they yeah, want to make sure that you, that you put the strap on. Yeah, I mean, do remember that I don't. Well, presumably because they don't want them breaking the television. Oh, whatever. But I mean, I <laughs> remember I don't. Go to, I don't go to these kind of things very often, so I don't actually see what Nintendo do at them. Yeah, I, you know, I only hear, either hear about it or look at it in screenshots, and I think they've all got really nice. Um, uh, what's it? Polyester shirts. 
that they really should sell. They have these nice sports. They're like designed for being in a hot, sweaty nerd room for ten hours at a time. Yeah, I could really, I could probably done with something like that myself. In all honesty, my, I, I swear to hell, I've gone through so much deodorant this week. Uh, yeah. So, uh, did they um, have any other RPGs yeah. there? So, so how stinky oh. was the third day of the show? Because I know uh, E3 gets pretty ripe by the end of it. Uh, no, it wasn't actually that bad, but that's probably because they had all the side doors open. You know, literally there was good, strong breeze blowing through quite a lot of places. And there were a lot of outdoor areas as well. And to answer Noodle's question, no, I did not play it. I really wanted to, but I just didn't have the time. Sorry. Did, did Nintendo have any other, like, Xenoblade or Last Story or anything like that? Uh, somewhat unsurprisingly, no. Yeah. No, I think Nintendo of Europe are trying to ignore it as well. It's like they've released, uh, well, they've released Xenoblade now, yes, I think. Yes, they have, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, I think they were just kind of pretending the game doesn't exist or something. I didn't see it. It may have been there, but I no, didn't see it. No, it's okay. It makes sense to focus on their big holiday titles anyway. So, so. Um, And uh, I don't know what Grimlands is, Noodle. Um, I want, the other one I wanted to try and see, well, at least get near was the, uh, the, the, the Batman Arkham City one. Again, horrifically long queue. Uh, although around the corner, um, I found the Bastion stand. And right next to the Bastion stand was that rather amusing Gotham City impersonators. Yeah, so you found the WB area is what you found. Mm. Uh, yes, I did. I did play Sonic Generations. And Sonic Generations is looking pretty awesome. Really? You didn't mind the frame rate? No, not really. Oh, yeah, that's the I, first Chris, thing I, I noticed. Sonic, I played Sonic Adventure 2 on the Dreamcast. Oh, jeez. Okay. You know. You don't care. I, well, I mean, were you playing care. the 2D levels? Because like, oh, the 2D levels just don't play like the 2D levels used to play. So. I think that's because the 2D levels are still kind of pseudo 3D levels anyway. Yeah, but it, it, was just, it, it just seemed unforgivable that the 2D levels would, should have very made issues in this day and age. Well. But whatever. I guess if you don't notice that I, stuff, it's not I, a big I, deal I, for you. I think, I, yeah, I think we, we won't actually see that one properly until they release. I think they may still be on uh, yeah. beta. I don't know. I didn't really When's... enjoy the 3D levels in it anyway, so... Well, uh, I'd no say I quite enjoyed it. I mean, but then again, I'm a great I'm a great proponent of the previous two Sonic games, so both Sonic Colors on the Wii and the DS. Um, I think they're great games. So, oh, when you said the previous Sonic games, I couldn't figure out which ones you you meant because that's a very dangerous well, thing to say. Previously, <laughs> I, uh, I have previously sung the praises of Sonic Colors on this very podcast. Okay. Um, uh, let's see what else. What else? Um, oh, well, it was really surprising. Although I didn't play it. Um, because uh, I know enough about it anyway, was tucked away in a corner next to, I think it was Deep Silver's stand. Now, Deep Silver is significant because um, they're the ones handling, I believe, handling the distribution of um, Deus Ex in uh, Europe, as in non-England territories. Um, so as well as having some stuff about the games they own, and they were also running, they had a, like a massive stand for Human Revolution, which I didn't play, not because I didn't want the cues, but because I'm on blackout for it, mostly. Um, and But next to it, tucked away, was an Atlas stand showing Catherine, which was really strange, because I'm not used to seeing Atlas-related things in this country yet. You know, what? Persona 3. No, it exactly. wasn't... No, Ghostlight is publishing it, I thought. It's not I Atlas th- in th- Europe. Yeah, I thought Ghostlight were, were too, but I think they may have been reusing artwork. Um which had yeah. like an Atlas. Well, I mean, Atlas is still the developer, even if they're not the publisher. Yeah. So it's going to have Sorry. Atlas splashed all over it. Yeah. I, I say, I'm just not used to seeing Atlas stuff in Europe. 
because we don't get a lot of it. Or, you know, it's, it's hard, either that or it's hard to find. Um, but yeah, no, 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 there was actually a very small Catherine stand. Cool. Um, which I thought was pretty cool. Was anybody at uh, it? Yeah, no, there was definitely a queue of people. Um, it was rather amusing that um, some, a, couple of, a couple of people towards the front shifted uncomfortably when I took my camera out. Um, and, uh, God, what else was there? Flipping out? There, seriously, there was so much to see. I've got screenshots of a lot of it. Screenshots, camera shots of quite a lot of the halls. Um, and there was stuff like uh, they had a retro museum. Um, and in one of those glass cabinets, I saw quite possibly the most wondrous thing I've ever seen in gaming for quite some time, which was like a Laserdisc copy of Street Fighter 2. Whoa. That's yeah. weird. Yeah, I, I'm serious. Uh, it was like he's used vinyl- Laserdisc cut versions for uh, the arcade machines. Oh, okay. Like yeah, laser. Yeah, I've I've never seen any of any games cut on laserdisc, and that was seeing that was pretty awesome. The the ironic, the amusing thing was was sitting right next to it in the same cabinet was um, a CDI with Hotel Mario on top. Oh, jeez. Um, but uh, all of the stuff they had there was uh, they had stuff from such a wide range of um, like say almost everything from the last generation, like the previous generation and backwards. So I saw that they had um, an N64 playing Goldeneye, uh, a PlayStation 1 playing the original Gran Turismo, and next to them, a Mega Drive playing the original Sonic the Hedgehog, and then next to that, uh, I think it was... Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the console, playing Pong. Does it not... Okay, other than Pong, uh, doesn't it really disturb you that those are like the lead skews by all those respective publishers this, this day and age as well? It's like we haven't moved that far forward, have we? I mean, uh, I want to say that, that was actually just a small. I mean, hell, I think they had one unit playing Alex the Kid there. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> you know, they, they they had a lot. They had a lot of other games. Those are just the ones I immediately remember. You know, they had like old arcade uh, machines and whatnot, and Atari twenty six hundreds playing goodness knows what. Uh, and I, I say it was, um, they, and they had a lot of um, like old. Uh, they, uh, you know, it was a proper museum, and it had a lot of um, like very old pieces, like the Nintendo comic system. Yeah, was... I have that. that. That was a book, though, right? Uh, well, I say this one uh, looked like it was based on that god awful TV series. Yeah, it was uh, a book, right? Um, it is kind yeah, of. Yeah, I think yeah. it was originally just a comic, actually. Uh, yeah, I've, you, but the one you saw was the hardbound book. No, it was uh, soft cover. Oh, okay. I have a, I, or at least I had a hardbound book version of that one, and uh, yeah, it a yeah. lot of Captain um, N, next, some Legend of Zelda. To, uh, <laughs> next to that one was uh, they were having a twenty-four hour case mod competition. Ooh. Um, which was wait, wait, fancy. they had to complete and build the mods within twenty-four hours. Yep, uh, it was oh, twenty-four cool. hours spaced over three days. Cool. Like any time, so you know, if you stopped working, you paused your timer. If you needed to go and eat or something, cool. But you had to kind of complete it in twenty-four hours over three days, and there was some pretty. Inc- I, I I will have to upload my pictures if I can. Um, there was some pretty incredible, including uh, rather amusing. Um, there was uh, there were two sitting next to each other. There was uh, the companion cube PC, which yeah, was excellent. funny, and then and then next to it was uh, an uh, was a Wally. Oh, oh, did it move or anything, or just look like uh, it? Well, it didn't move, 
Um, they had managed to incorporate a little screen where Wally's little screen is oh, that cool. actually showed what the PC is doing, the monitor output. Oh, that's great. Hilarious. I've got a picture of that. That's and there was another one. Um, I think there was another one that looked like some kind of like steel, uh, steampunk-esque oil rig type thing. Mm. Um, and then there was one round the corner, which was basically just like a kind of coffee table sized spacecraft as a case mod. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I, I, I really find it like hard to describe like the, le- you know, think of a game coming out in the next year and it, it was probably there. You know, there was so much stuff. It was really hard to keep track of. I have like a book containing all of the exhibitors present, which includes all of the people in the business area. Um, and it's, it's so much stuff. Sensory overload, seriously. Um, all I will say, though, is uh, just a quick side note to the developers of World of Tanks. You do not need half-naked women to sell your game. Just saying. You know. Yeah, they, you know, they've got budget PR, and that's the first thing that budget PR thinks of. When you say half-naked women, what do you mean? Like, We're talking... Were wearing... Little, uh, like little uniforms and skirts. She had patches over her tatas. No, I was. It was. Uh, they that, were, that's uh, mostly uh, naked women, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, white tank tops and extremely short shorts. Um, and their their press their little um like stage. <laughs> what? So you you have to find pictures of the booth babes that Nico puts out every year because if you think that's bad, you have no idea. I, it's just that it wasn't. I, I, I'm not really actually complaining about the state of undress, more the fact that. No, 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 no. You see, with the thing with the Nico girls is not only do they have these teeny tiny Had. red shorts, they don't painted do it on. anymore. No, no, they had some of them this year. Uh, 2006 was really fun for it, too. That was the year that they shuffled them all off the floor. Um, uh, not only do they have the teeny tiny red painted on shorts, they also have like these really thin shirts. And I swear that they make them stand in front of air conditioners for half an hour before they stick them down on the floor. Right. Nico? What? I never heard of them. What do they N-Y-K-O. develop? NYK. NYK. Oh, Nico. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but what, no, I mean, really what I'm saying is, is that if you have a stage in your, uh, like your booth, use it for actually talking about your game and not putting on like, um, like pole dancing without a pole. It, <laughs> although to be brutally honest, it was, dist- um, distracting a lot of people at the League of Legends stand next door. That was, that much was obvious. So, um, and yeah, the ES, I said earlier, the ESL stuff was pretty good. The stuff that I did see. Um, and as I say, I think good time had by all round, but it was, uh, once Thursday and Friday rolled in, it was extremely busy. Uh, I think the estimated numbers were, uh, 300,000 plus or something people. Um, I uh, sent um, you guys some, uh, pictures of the crowds from like yesterday or t- what was it? Yeah, I saw them. Let's have Pretty a look. Crazy. Quite crazy. Uh, and this is why they don't open. Oh, wow. Like. That's um that it, yeah that's the uh the southern entrance by the tra- uh, the tram station is in the background that cover shot um and that must be today um yeah. because uh because it was not like that yesterday they said they had to lock it down for capacity reasons apparently the German yeah I don't blame them <laughs> those those corridors there is a there's actually a rather unfortunately placed choke point in one of those corridors. Um, where people have to kind of work around as a, a hall splits off to the side. Um, it's kind of like if I am really quite glad I came home today. Oh man! <laughs> That's all I could say. 
I can't even imagine uh, the smell, the body odor. <laughs> yeah. Of that many people trapped together in a hall. I mean, the uh, thankfully, uh, the you see in that screenshot, you see there's a Coca-Cola Zero stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, the guys um, Coke Zero were actually handing out um, uh, free cola for most of GDC as well, as long as you brought the can back. Although I don't think they were particularly checking, so uh, getting free drinks was not exactly difficult. Um, yeah, so it was a good time. Um, I'd like to go back, but uh, next year, I, if I want to go to GDC. I will not be able to get a student ticket because, with any luck, I'll be graduating at the end of this academic year. So, I will not be a student anymore. <laughs> I will actually have to earn my place, as it were. Well, you make a big time remember us. All right. Well, if I can't get it via, um, if I can't get in via, um, like paying for GDC, I'll probably just try and get into Gamescom under RP Gamer and just register as press. That's something I should have done this time. Is even though I got a trade visitor pass, I should have registered as press anyway. Um, as most of the developers who are doing like interviews for upcoming stuff were usually only willing to talk to actual accredited pl- press rather than just trade visitor plebs like me. So you pleb. That'll be that'll be like if there was one thing I could I, w- I would change it would be that and bring more business cards or bring some at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably a useful thing. So. So yeah, um, I say uh, most of the other Gamescom stuff can probably be seen online. Um, I'm going to have intermittent internet for the next week or so, uh, but I'll try and upload my photos so you guys can see them on the RP Gamer website. Um, most of them are literally just uh, shots of the various stands and the huge crowds of people. Uh, so don't expect a lot of like gameplay stuff because my camera is just not built for taking photographs of screens. Um, although I will probably not upload the rather the three rather amusing photos of me riding a fake mecha from the uh, end of Nations stand. Ooh, that looks that sounds fun. I will probably set it to be my profile picture on RP Gamer so people can point and laugh at it later. Nice. And yes, Noodle what? No, I didn't play Grimlands. I don't know what Grimlands is. <laughs> she keeps asking that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know. <laughs> Me either. To know more, check out rpgamer.com and our, our extensive E3 coverage. Apparently. To learn more about Gamelands. Oh, did you talk about Grimlands? No, she did. Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. That's a third-person MMORP, th- MMOT, third-person shooter. Whatever oh, speaking of, third, speaking of third-person, sorry, you just reminded me something about the uh, Skyrim. Hmm. Stuff. I know you saw it before, but it's, it you know this point bears repeating. Sure. Um, the uh, developers Bethesda have reworked the uh, third-person camera, so you don't look like some kind of badly animated figure when using the third-person camera view in Skyrim. That's okay. so yeah, a lot more playable in that mode. Um, yeah, so yeah, it is a lot more playable rather than you just kind of looking like a sort of poorly animated. F- I think the only time you do that is maybe if you were sneaking or or if you just wanted to look at yourself across the vista or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, I look cool in that armor, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's – although they did say, the developers did say that a lot of people do play those games in third person because they just like it better, I guess. So they, they kind of reworked the system with their, with them in mind. So that's what they said. Um, yeah, I kind of really wish I had more to talk about, but um, – 
I've probably worn my voice thin enough anyway. Is no, there anything anyone and is there anything anyone else can think of that might have been there that I might have seen? No. Um, I think you're good. Have we talked about Dota 2 yet? I said Dota 2 was only present as a tournament thing there. There was no public stand for it. It was more of a they had it set up like um there was uh, like an oval-shaped arena thing in the middle, um, which was obviously separated into two sides. Um, so the two teams were pl- who were playing were sat, e- uh, you know, uh, sat facing each other almost. You know, the, the only thing separating them was the computer and the screen. Um, and then the actual stand was kind of arranged, I think, in almost like an hourglass shape around the, the back ends of the two. So there was like one group of people, spectators, sat behind one team. And then another group of spectators sat behind the other team, and there were screens everywhere showing what was going on, and of course commentators. So, the the say the Dota stand was p- pretty well done. Um, it was bigger than the Riot stand showing off League of Legends. Um, although League of Legends were fighting back by uh, when they did do a um, when they did put a game together, um, they would get someone from Riot Games would grab one of the microphones, switch the uh, big screen over, and then commentate on the game to everyone else watching. So. Yeah. Did it actually look, was the, was the match actually interesting? Or, Sorry? Were the I, matches I, actually interesting? I didn't watch a whole lot of the Dota 2 stuff. Um, but as it's, it, it's, it's probably enjoyable. I say I've just been paying too much attention to League of Legends lately. So. Fair enough. Cool. So uh, we should probably move on to what other people have been playing. Throat hurts. Yeah, give you a rest. Uh, I'll talk about Bastion a little. Got to got to play some of that last night. We played through a, I, I played through a good portion of that. Um, Steam or XBLA? XBLA. Uh, um, All right. Cool. I didn't even think about getting it on Steam. Maybe I should have. Wonder if it's any better. It's in 1080p on Steam, isn't it? Probably. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, No, I got the Xbox Live Arcade version because that's how I've seen this game presented and how I understand its controls to work. I didn't even think... uh, That's a good question. You don't have a question control? No, I do. Oh, I don't even think about buying arcade games on Steam. Hmm. Oh, well. Doesn't matter. Uh, Oh, official soundtrack for five five bucks. That might be worth it, actually. It's got a good soundtrack. Uh, Good action RPG, running around, leveling up weapons, uh, getting... Lots of new weapons and uh, loving up your character and stuff. Uh, seems pretty long, actually. A lot longer than I expected it to be. So uh, I, I enjoyed it. Anna, what did you think about it? It was your f- first time seeing it. I've talked about like the beginning stuff on this I love before. the way that the storyline unfolds, how basically everything that you're doing is narrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really um, is the big call to this game. I the think. other thing that I really like is I actually like how well-paced your new weapons are. Mm-hmm. Um, the upgrades are very cool. I like the fact that, like that shotgun that you got, yeah. that it's like buckshot everywhere. You actually have to decide whether you want accuracy or spread. And there there's significant decisions to be made. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, pretty cool. Uh, the so gameplay cool, story cool, inventory cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to figure out what else to say about it. Um, we don't really need to go over basics for Bastion because we've talked about them before, I suppose. Um, but I, I, as far as my impressions of the game, I'm really worried about being able to level up all my stuff because I like to level up all my stuff, and it seems like I'm not getting enough experience points to do that. 
and I don't know if I'm going to or if I can or if that opens up, so I'm a little worried about that. Um, but I really do like how every weapon's kind of cool. And that, that uh, I've heard this mentioned on other podcasts before, but I agree. That is a, a unique trait in games like these where you mm, actually get weapons that are all nice. Tastes like local anesthetic. Ah. Oh, okay. Sorry, no, I'm just taking German strength strepsils for my throat. Oh, fun. Mm. I had a, unfortunately, I developed a cold on uh, Thursday. Um, uh, and I developed a German cold, which was ridiculously efficient and attacked my sinuses straight away. Yes, German cold. Yeah. It's so, efficient, but it's it made for the, luxury. It made the entire left side of my face ache all Thursday evening. Sorry for interrupting. I could please continue. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, I don't know what else to say. Um, you played, uh, um, Citizen Brown. Yeah, but that's okay. It's not an RPG. Um, but we, t- we played more Back to the Future stuff. You played it, actually. You're the one who was controlling yes. it. Yes. Uh, that was, uh, that's part of the Telltale, um, Back to the Future series of games, which is still pretty cool and pr- still pretty good. Uh, and I think that, and continuing on in Final Fantasy V. Um, so, Manny, did you play anything? Just wrapping up Oblivion. Finally made it to the Shivering Isles. Like f- six, f- I don't know how many years later. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, have you even started Oblivion yet, Chris? I started it years ago. Um, played for about four or five hours. If you're interested, I mean, if you still want to check it out before... I, I mean, do. Skyrim or uh, or Amalur comes out because those games are going to make that game look completely obsolete. I know, and I have all the DLC for it. Just, just do, uh, just do Shivering Isles. That's probably the best piece of content on there. That island is the most unique original thing. Everyone is insane. Can I go right over to Shivering Isles right away? Oh, okay. So yeah, just check that out. It's, I think it's probably the best content in that game. And there's some real decisions to make, maybe just based on your pref- personal preference and just what you want. There's no morality system that's going to make you feel bad for trying to be demented or manic. It's just, it's what you want. I need, and to, it's just, I need to figure <clears throat> out what mods I need when I play that too. Texture mods and all that crap. I'm just saying, if, if, you, if you still want to go through it and you feel limited... Probably just do the Shivering Isles and maybe the Assassin's uh, Assassin's Guild quest, which everyone tells me is the best. Have you done them? No, I'm going to do the Assassin's Guild next once uh, I wrap up Shivering. Got it. Um, I guess that, and uh, I guess my only other pick for the week is the Lisa Loeb Eyewear Collection. Have you seen this? No. <laughs> what is the Lisa Loeb Eyewear Collection? <laughs> You don't remember Lisa Loeb? No. All right, well, we'll talk about it. Turn the radio on, I turn the radio up, and there's somebody singing my song? Nope. (sighs) Sorry. Okay. Reality bites, doesn't it? The the music video was awesome. It was this teeny tiny apartment that she sort of danced around and almost tripped over a cat. Okay. You know, that was all done in one shot. Just one long take. Yeah. And it was uh, actually directed by Ethan Hawke. Uh, who's that? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm done. Sorry. Ethan Hawke, isn't that the name of the guy in Mission Impossible? No, Ethan Hawke. Okay. You know the guy from uh, 
Reality Bites. I'm Ethan looking Hunt. up now. Untitled Scott Derrickson Project, Boyhood, The New Total Recall. Oh, great. Moby Dick, uh, Brooklyn's Fine. He was I've big not in heard the 90s. Of any of this crap. Uh, crap. It's crap because you've never heard of it. <laughs> Isn't that the way the world works? He was in Training Day, I guess. I guess. It was like his best performance was Training Day. I haven't seen Training Day. Um, let's see. Tape, Waking Life. You haven't Life. seen Training Day? No. Oh, my goodness. The Velocity of Gary, not his real name. Gattaca. Oh, I love Gattaca. How could you have not have seen Gattaca? He was it's in like one Quiz of best... Show. I saw Quiz Show. I don't remember him, though. One of the best sci-fi films. He was in Gattaca. Alive. Oh, that was brutal, yeah. It was pretty good. Live was pretty um, good. He was in Dead Poet Society. Can't believe you haven't seen Gattaca, Chris. You would love Gattaca. <laughs> Sorry. I why would I love Gattaca? Because it's one of the best and like most intelligent sci-fi films ever made. Oh, it's a sci-fi film? Well, yeah. Oh. It was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. All right. Yeah, and this is the fake outtakes because our show's over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did uh, what's up with uh, Roy? Did you play anything this week? Um, I played uh, some. I'm replaying Mass Effect One and Two, getting ready for three, so I can have my ideal save file to import. And I've been building more in Minecraft with the project that I've been working on the past two months. Cool. Which it's fine. It's finally actually almost done i probably got about another month of work on it but it's finally starting to show real progress all right i'm glad to hear that i don't know you haven't told us what it is though so oh um i don't know if i ever told you guys in this cast um i mentioned it on the sanctum but um i'm using um since the whole theme of the sanctum when we me and mac originally thought it up was the whole thought of um that we were actually recording the podcast inside of a sanctuary. That's where the name came from. And I got the idea of what exactly that sanctuary would look like. So I decided to uh, build it in Minecraft. Oh, cool. And I've, I've spent what I've been building right now. I have the overall structure built. It, it, it stretches. If it was in the real world, the structure would be about over five kilometers high <laughs> which for those in north america is about 3.1 miles high pretty good that's uh and that's I, taller I than anything as, really <laughs> i i have built it as high as minecraft will allow me to go the ac- the actual room at the top where the podcast would be recorded is above the clouds are you surrounded by a forest full of ants well so far what i've done is the basic layout is is that it's a um I've done a a Mayan style pyramid for the base, where it where steps come up, then it levels off for an area, and then it goes up another ten st- another steps. I built a Roman style palisade at the top of that. I have I have waterfalls coming down everything, and then on and then on the very top of the pyramid, I built a um, I built a. Uh, Walls that are at the very top that go up for a mile. <laughs> Jeez. And then I built another smaller pyramid inside those going up to a central platform. And then from that central platform is a complete tower of glass. 
<laughs> sounds, there's la- sounds fun. <laughs> there's lava waterfalls and everything. <laughs> lava waterfalls. All right. I'm I'm going to put a video of it on the Sanctum's archive page once it's finished. So you guys will all be able to see it once it's done. Works. I I'd say if I had to guess, I'd say I put about two hundred hours of work into it so far. That's a rough guess. Two hundred hours. You can finish like a bazillion games. Oh my gosh! I've actually so I'm 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 impressed with myself that I've stayed dedicated to finishing it. And I hope people use it. Is this on a server where I could go destroy it? Um, it's it's on a single player thing right now, oh, okay. to where only, only I can see it. But once it's finished, I'm going to put it on the server. Can you move it easily? Uh, there should be a way to do it. Oh, I'd hate you have to remake the whole thing. There should be a way that I could just take the save file and upload it to the servers. Oh, okay. And Minecraft has an extensive modding community, so I'm sure there's someone that knows about it. Even if it is a complex process, I'm sure there's I, someone. I would have figured it. that out before I started, but <laughs> good luck to you. <laughs> well, um, if I can't put it on the servers, then I can't. But I'm I just originally made this as a labor thing that I wanted to do. That's that's great labor of love. I I, yeah. I originally didn't intend to put it on the servers, but if if it is possible, I will put it on the servers once it's done. Sweet. That's actually what I'm doing right now. I'm building more right now. Cool. Uh, sounds fun. sounds really fun. Um, all right. Now, I've got videos coming in of Hitler talking about HP ab- abandoning the webOS. I've got websites to Lisa Loeb Eyewear, which I'm going to have to figure out. Chris, you say I only hear what I want to. You say I don't understand. Oh, her? And she's releasing eyewear that makes you look like Tina Fey? Uh, 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 uh. Tina Fey is a poor man's Lisa Loeb. Is it? Is she? (laughs) Okay. I didn't know. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Whatever. $189 for birds. The birds iframe. Okay, I think it's time for us to wrap the show. Thanks, everyone, for for listening this week. Oh, what? Do I not get to talk about what I played? You did. No. Okay. What else did you play? I finished Runespell Overture. Now you can close. <laughs> oh, I, I've, as I said, as earlier mentioned in the podcast, um, I also finished The Last Remnant on PC. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I'll tell you what, I actually didn't see that ending coming. Oh. If only because um, it's been quite a long time since I've played the rest of the game and I'd completely forgot everything <laughs> the game has talked about. So I, I actually only kind of really didn't see the ending coming in the fact that I can't actually remember much of the plot anyway. So <laughs> okay. it was probably foreshadowed pretty well, uh, but I can't remember any of it. So uh, sorry, Kawazu. Uh, I know Wheels will probably hound me about this, but um, yeah. Um, but I will say that, hey, uh, if I was able to block out all your foreshadowing, your plot twist was actually pretty well done. <laughs> Did okay, you I'm like done. the game or not? <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I, I say, because I played the PC, because I played the PC version, yeah. um, it had less of the technical issues that played to the 360 version, or at least sure. I was under the impression that most of the uh, technical issues were on the 360 version only. Yeah. Um, which means that the game itself actually ran pretty well. Um, so most of the issues... Or, the few issues that I really had with it were kind of down to how the gameplay worked and the fact that the main character can be a li- little bit annoyingly stubborn-headed at times. 
um, which was ever so slightly muted by uh, switching over the voices to Japanese because they seem to say slightly different things. You know, but that's the weird thing about that game. I believe the lip syncing was done for English. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the strange thing. It's, um, it's one of the few games they've done that with, and it was cool to hear them tell me that. But the uh, so that should actually feel wrong when you do it in that case. Yeah, it, it, it's just amusing that the um, the as far as the subtitles are concerned, um, the subtitles don't always accurately translate what was being said. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, uh, for example, um, the uh, the main character's younger sister, um, I believe, does refer to him the same way the other characters do, with the exception of the main character, because that's supposed to be his thing. Whereas I think she calls him something like Davy in the dub, which is a little too cutesy. Just a little. Hmm, yeah. But anyways, eh, I finished it now. All right. <laughs> And I think it's time hey, for us to... Oh, it's over! Yeah, what's over? The pain. The Sorry, pain's was... over? Okay. I, that was terrible. My throat giving out. Okay. <laughs> and I think this show's going to be over. I love when okay. I try to wrap up the show six times. It must be so annoying to listen to. I'm sorry, listeners out there. But I do want to ask you to get send us feedback. Podcast at rpgamer.com. <gasps> 608-729-4098 if you want to leave us a voicemail. Or send us an MP3 attachment like Mr. Legendary Zoltan does. Um, I have some feedback. Oh, what's that? You know how we like to steal segments from other podcasts that we like? Yeah. We should to- uh, give a chance to listen to the Tested podcast. It's uh, the sister website. Tested is the sister website to Giant Bomb. It's their tech division. They have a pretty good tech podcast. Yeah. And at the end of their show is uh, – you know how everyone likes to get on tangents and talk about completely – seemingly not – like complete non sequiturs? Yeah. So what they do is – they save all that for the end of the show. They say it's called the fake outtake show. So they have this mil- – right now is where we would end the show officially. But mm-hmm. then they would keep on recording for like maybe another 30 minutes just talking about whatever they want to. They're fake outtakes. How do you save all that? Those things work because they're spur of the moment. Uh, I think it works pretty well in the fake outtake section. They must plan give it a it. listen. Okay. I'll have to give it a listen. <laughs> And if you have other segment suggestions for us, please, I'm looking to restructure the show some more. I'd love to tur- to mess things around, change things up again. So if you have suggestions, send them in. Uh, with that, there's actually games to play this week, so have fun. Um, go watch uh, some VODs of the Dota 2 stuff to see if you're into that. And, I don't know, just enjoy uh, your last days of summer. They're starting to wind up now. And uh, we will see you next week. We will have different things going on next week. Next week is PAX. So, so we gonna, are we actually going to podcast from PAX We are going to be party? podcasting from the PAX for Life party. And oh, Christ. You pro- are going to kill me next week, aren't you? No, you won't be there. No, 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 no. You can podcast from PAX, but you can still invite me to the Skype call if I'm still away. No, um, there won't be a Skype call. 9 p.m. or later, PST. So it'll be like, you'll have to set your alarm clock for 6 a.m. No, he can't. But Anna, there's no internet. Oh. Yeah. So we won't be streaming. There won't be a pa- there won't be a, a Skype call. We will be recording a podcast at the Paxter Life Party. Which, if you want more details on, that's part of Sarcastic Gamers Extra Life, the thing that we do every year. That so, we're if this you're year. a listener and you're going to be there, yeah, maybe you'll get on the podcast. Yeah, maybe. Um, at the, it. <laughs> uh, look up Paxter Life uh, in conjunction with Extra Life, and they. Uh, I forget where the main website is for it. They did a bad job of doing seo so you can actually find it but oh wait there it is there it is there it is there it is 
It is at... Oh, it's on Split Reason's site. Oh, whatever. Uh, it's a it's linked off extra life that extra dash life.org somewhere or on sarcastic.com. But what it is is a little fundraising pre-party at PAX for the Extra Life event. We'll be podcast recording a podcast there on uh, Friday, August 26th, and we'll put it up sometime that weekend, hopefully. And then you will be able to um, listen to our impressions from the first day at PAX. And that's what I'll have for you next week. And then we'll have the normal schedule the following week the regular podcast streaming and everything. So, no streaming show next week. Don't show up Saturday. Sleep in and enjoy your, uh, your morning. Man, I really should have paid attention to that. Or I'll ask you after the show. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, with that, we're going to sign off. And I want to thank everyone for showing up. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. See you next week. I think my throat will be better. I say you guys stay.